Our new partner who I'm really, really excited to announce we are working with. Super, super stoked. Thank you, Angie Huberman, for this connect. It's incredible. Uh, AG1 Athletic Greens. I've been using them for a while. I have them every morning on an empty stomach. Basically, take one scoop and you put it into a uh, cup or glass or mug of eight ounces of cold water. And this is all your greens for the day. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Every day I take this, it's so good for my digestion, my energy. It's simple. It's easy. I don't like taking a lot of vitamins. This has been really, really helpful for me. I've had a lot of stomach issues my whole life, and ever since I've been gluten-free and taking the AG1s, it's really helped me in my stomach in the mornings. I love it, and I'm so psyched that they're part of the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm sure a lot of people don't like eating greens, let alone drinking your greens, but I can tell you straight up, it's got a mild tropical taste, and the taste is actually really refreshing, and I really look forward to it each morning. Don't, don't think it's just going to be just straight bland. Um, it tastes really, really good, um, and it's good for you, so remember that. This one blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's incredible, just one scoop, especially for musicians who are vegans or just musicians in general who want to get those daily greens. You can get the packets. It's incredible. I just gave some to my friend Derek from Sepultura. He traveled the whole entire world this summer, and he had, he had those every single day. He said it's, it saved him. I bring AG1s with me when I travel. It helps me stay healthy. You know the deal. If you're on tour and you are uh, a picky eater, but you need to have your greens, sometimes catering doesn't have greens. Sometimes you miss the catering. Sometimes you miss the backstage food. Sometimes it's too late after the show to go get food that you like. So if you just have a, a scoop of uh, AG1s in your hotel room before you go to bed or you're in the hotel room at night and you're starving and you want something healthy, boom, life changer. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with some convenient daily nutrition. That's all you need. One scoop in a cup every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. This is it. I'm super psyched. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash OLLC. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash OLLC to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This is incredible. I love it. It's just basic greens. For me personally, this has changed my life tremendously. I'm not a junk food vegan. I don't eat a lot of fake meat, so I'm strictly, strictly greens. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful new addition to my life. So once again, visit athleticgreens.com slash OLLC. And get one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Athleticgreens.com slash OLOC. Yo, yo, Liquid Death, thank you so much for hydrating all my guests, taking care of me and my family and my friends. Love your water, love your brand, love what you stand for, love you give back to the community. If you want to learn more about Liquid Death and how it started, listen to episode 115 with the co-founder, owner, and creator of Liquid Death, Mike Cesario. Just a punk rock skateboarding kid from Delaware with a dream. It's an incredible story, incredible journey. They have now blessed me with my own code. So if you go to liquiddeath.com slash Toby, you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. Thank you so much, Liquid Death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst. Stay hydrated. You know H2O saves lives. Check, check, microphone check. Welcome to the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morse. Today, I have a very special guest in my kitchen. Please welcome to the podcast, Magdalena Voshinska. Did I say it right? You said it right. Magdalena so Voshinska, yeah. Poland. Thank you for being here. 
Thanks for having me. So we met on we met at dinner at Rich Roll's house. I don't know if that was like a year ago or two years ago. Everything's kind of like going by really fast. When was that? You think? A year and a half ago. How old is Rich? When is his birthday? <laughs> <laughs> a year and a half ago. Because if we didn't get reinvited to the next party, that's how we know it's been two years. Oh shit! So it's been a year and a half. Okay, that was amazing because it was like a table with all kinds of people that nobody really knew each other. And we always start talking. It's just a very small world with music. And, and then like a week or two later, I did a photo shoot with Caddis. And you were the photographer when I came there. Totally. I know. It's pretty cool. And we talked about hardcore. Yes. That's how we connected. Because I was like, have you heard of this band called Scowl? Yes. Yeah. And since then, I've had them on the podcast. And that's fucking cool. That's right. You were telling me about them. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, Hari, welcome. I'm great. How are you? Good. So this is your this is your first face to face podcast? Totally. It's usually over Zoom. And then I can just I like hide myself in the corner and pretend that... <laughs> I'm not embarrassed. I never did a Zoom podcast. I never, I refuse to do that or do phone calls. I don't know. I just feel like face to face is nice. You know what I mean? It's intimate. Totally. And I get to look at all your sponsors on your kitchen uh, <laughs> table like Liquid Death. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, I'm going to get into your journey because somehow you came from uh, Poland to Arizona. Um, correct? Yeah. Um, but let's get back to Poland because I love Poland. We were just talking about before the podcast and playing there. Next year we play there every time we go to Europe. It's an amazing, amazing, passionate, hardcore punk scene. The shows are always fucking awesome there. Um, but how was it growing up there? Mm. And do you have siblings? I do have siblings. I have two older sisters. I mean, growing up in Poland, as I remember, it was a beautiful, amazing experience because I was like an innocent kid. But yeah. meanwhile... What I grew up around was something that I now am recognizing how fucked up it was. I mean, growing mm. up in post-war, post-World War II Poland in communism and a very suppressed uh, system, it yeah. was something that you uh, end up learning a lot from. For instance... I think I'm the most frugal person I've ever met because we used to get oranges for Christmas. You know what I mean? Wow. Whereas people maybe in other countries like America were getting a little bit more than that. Yeah. Um, and we had to drive to Prague to get shoes and socks. And like when everybody freaked out of the pandemic that there was no toilet paper in the stores and they had to use newspaper, I was like, this is nothing new to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a yeah. very, you know, it was a journey of hardship. But when you're a kid, you're, you know, that's just normal for you but I remember one time my mom asking me to go to the store when I was like six also when you're a little kid like you're totally fine to just go walk to the grocery store by yourself after six seven years of age like it's not like people are freaking out and not letting you do your thing so yeah. my mom would be like hey go to the store when I was six and I was just so intimidated to like walk up to the cashier and ask for a stick of butter but I waited for like an hour or something to get a stick of butter and by the time I got to the counter they're like I'm sorry there's no butter come back in a month and I'm like, a Whoa. month? Whoa. And they're like, yeah, come back later. I'm like, what am I supposed to tell my mom? There's no butter, you know? So that's kind of how I was raised in a place where everything that you got was like very sacred and special. So moving from a place where you get oranges for Christmas and then all of a sudden I have an orange tree in my backyard in Arizona, you're just like, mine is blown. Wow. And all of a sudden it's like money grows on trees and it's like the idea of the American dream. Damn. How old were you when you moved to Arizona? I was eight. And and when how'd that happen? Like why Arizona? My parents got a job offer between Canada and Phoenix, Arizona. I don't remember where in Canada, but they were both psychology professors and I think that they just wanted to have a good life for their children. Yeah. So they decided to 
move where there's probably more opportunity. Not saying that we wouldn't have had a good life in Poland. I often wonder, like, if I stayed there, how I would be, yeah. who would I be, how I would manage and navigate myself through the world. But, um, you know, they took the opportunity and then they decided to go somewhere warm. So, yeah, we came to Phoenix, Arizona in 1990. 90, and how was it? Was it a crazy, had it been crazy culture shock? Oh, totally. I mean, back to the oranges, like I remember. Yeah, I <laughs> back to the oranges. I mean, I remember landing uh, on the plane from Warsaw to Phoenix and like wearing a little fur coat because it was like October and it was freezing in the Eastern Bloc. And then all of a sudden you're landing in Arizona. It's like 70 degrees. And I landed, and as the plane was landing, my mom gave me bubble gum because my ears were popping. Mm. And I was like, why are you giving me bubble gum? This is like a delicacy. I get this for Christmas once a year. Like, we don't get bubble gum. So I was in shock with wow. what the behavior already was and how it was shifting as we were landing in this new land. And then when we got to the airport, my dad was here half a year prior to us to, like, organize everything. So he picks us up in this red minivan. And... um. I've never seen a minivan. I was like, what is this house on wheels? This is crazy. There's seven seats. This is insane. We had like a red Fiat that fit a family of five. And then afterwards, I ended up getting in the minivan and the sliding door opens. And I was like, I've never seen a sliding door in a car. Like it felt like the future. Wow. And then we get in the car and then we start driving down the freeway as the sun sets in Arizona. And then there's just like trees lining the freeway that had oranges falling into the road. And my mom and I just start banging on the windows, screaming like, we need to stop the car and give all the oranges to our cousins and ship them back home. Wow. And my dad's like, just wait till you get home. And I was like, what happens when we get home? And he's like, just wait and see. And I remember like pulling up into our tiny little, very modest, very, very modest house in Tempe, Arizona. Um, you know, my parents made the garage become a bedroom so me and my sisters could have the other room. And it was a very like, you know, modest way of living. We didn't have any money when we came here because it was a huge risk, but we came here for the opportunity. And yeah. I remember walking inside and um, the carpets that were lining the floors were foreign to me because in Poland, no one had carpets because plastic was a luxury. Everything there was paper and glass. And here, like, you know, a lot of rugs are made with plastic in them. And it was really unique to walk in. And there was a carpet, not a hardwood floor with a rug. And then the blinds that were like the plastic blinds that like turn. Yeah. Instead of like paisley curtains. And I was like, what is this shit? I don't like it. <laughs> and then my dad's like, come in the backyard. And it started getting darker. And I was super jet lagged. And I didn't know what jet lag was at the time. And he's like, come in the yard, come in the yard. So... I start following him through the backyard and then we get to the corner of the yard and then all of a sudden he's like, just put your hand up and touch this tree. And then he took my hand and I touched an orange and I had an orange tree in my backyard. Wow, and he's man. like, welcome to America. And I was like, oh my God. That is amazing. But you know, it was so hard. I didn't understand the language. I was going to ask you how your English was non-existent mm -hmm. so i let like watched aladdin on tv <laughs> and i listened you know it's funny because i'm 39 now and it's just probably not good that i cuss as much as i do as like a grown woman but <laughs> i cuss a lot <laughs> like a sailor and i'm like where did this come from but i realized i learned how to speak english by listening to like easy e and tupac mm. and there was a lot of like curse like cussing and like that kind of oh yeah time and so that's what was my education for english and then watching television Damn. so that's where it came from but the culture <laughs> shock was kind of gnarly and um i don't know if i just like forced myself to like it but i was just like well i don't have a choice so here i am yeah but i mean growing up really poor it was hard because everybody had like american clothes with these cool little logos like guest jeans and i couldn't 
my parents couldn't afford any of that stuff for me. So it was hard to um, feel welcome by the other kids. And kids are fucking assholes when totally. they're young and they tease you. And so I would just wear the same outfit every day that my mom would wash for me every day that I was really proud of. And I would just get teased for wearing the same outfit. So I had a very hard time, um, you know, just kind of blending in with the young kids in this world yeah were there other kids from other countries at the school in arizona i mean most of the kids in my neighborhood were um we were all in esl together english as a second language there it was a very hispanic neighborhood yeah and since those kids were kind of outcasted by regular american culture as well that's the bond i had so like my sister would wear like her brown lip liner and put her pager in her like rib tank top and crop <laughs> top and we'd wear the filas and the baggy pants and like we were like these polish like girls that wanted to be cholas so bad but we were like very accepted by the hispanic you know yeah. kids because we were foreign just like how they were foreign we were just like eastern block and so and i think that's like where the, tr the introduction came to hip-hop and things like that so yeah that's like how we felt at home but with the rest of like the white kids the american white kids they were like the richer kids that had the nice clothes that would give us shit so i was like eh. <laughs> and so and, and how were you in school were you, were you do were you like super quiet do you play sports were you i mean what was your vibe I didn't really talk to anybody because I didn't know how to speak to anyone because I didn't know <laughs> English for three three months. And then eventually, like, I was always really good at school and I was into art, but I think what happened that changed my life forever is, like, around the age of 12, feeling very outcasted, I found skateboarding, and that changed my life. And it was just a family of misfits, and we all came together to create our own family, and it really shaped who I am as a woman now because starting to skate, I mean, especially as a woman in the early 90s, that alone was being outcasted even in your own group of skaters, Yeah, which is crazy, yeah. but it was a really amazing thing to finally get into the groove. Like at first, you know, the first four years I went to the skate park and I tried so hard to learn how to pop shove it or ollie the pyramid <laughs> or do a heel flip, <laughs> everybody would just give me shit and the older dudes would just push me into the bowl and they're like, this is how you learn how to drop in on vert. Like they just didn't give a fuck. And I was like this tiny little girl, but you know, they would just like push you and shoulder you and then eventually you just show up every day and then they're like, I guess she's not leaving. And yeah. then, then they're like, okay, put your foot here. This is how you do a kickflip. This is how you do a heel flip. So slowly over the years of like me just consistently being there, they started taking me seriously that I wasn't just some like little kid trying to get in their way that I was yeah. like, hey, this is something I want to be a part of. So it took a long time to even get accepted in the skate scene because at that point it was the 90s and I was a woman. Now people mm -hmm. go to the Olympics in skateboarding that are yeah. females. Back then they just call you a pro ho or a dyke or whatever the fuck they wanted the to call you. The 80s were called skate beddies. Skate beddies is a lot nicer than pro ho and dyke. I'd prefer the oh. 80s. The 90s yeah. were like <laughs> rough and it wasn't really cool to see how men treated women back then. But, you know, I kind of dealt with it and I thought that that was like a normal thing to be treated like that. So I had to take a lot of time to like reprogram my way of thinking after that. But at the same time, the people that were treating people like that were also like my brothers. But in a yeah. way, like when you're in that situation, you almost have to become a man to feel safe. So I was like a dude my whole life, like through my teens, my 20s and now in my 30s. This is the time where you try to find your identity as feminine because mm. you know you have to prove yourself and you have to wear the leather jacket and the armor and the baggy pants and cut your hair short so you can blend in so you won't get fucked with that's fucking crazy man think about that totally. and how different it is now so you know, different. way more accepting and way more totally people, people are so o open and you know woke and 
yeah. like willing to talk about their feelings. It's crazy. But back then, like I didn't have role models or mentors. I didn't even know there was another girl that would skateboard except for the two girls at the park that I would see in the 10 years of my you know, skating time in Arizona. Yeah, was it girl pros back then or anything? There was Alyssa Steamer, but you'd have to have the internet to see that. I didn't have the internet. Mm. I was like 12, you know, and also like, yeah. I didn't have money for skate videos and I didn't have money for gas to get anybody to pick my ass up to take me to a skate shop, you know? So like, I didn't know pros existed. I didn't know any of that existed. I didn't even know you could make money off of it. Mm. But weirdly enough, two years after starting the skateboard, I found photography at 14 and then photography was my in even more into skateboarding because not only did I have a purpose to be there, but I could also like make people happy by taking their pictures. I started documenting my scene in skateboarding. That's and then, amazing. Yeah. So you go from the skate park. Now I had a reason to go street skating because I was like, I had my little run at the skate park. I could do a few tricks here and there, <laughs> but I couldn't, you know, do some bangers down 20 stair handrail and do grinds. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I could then have a purpose to be there. So it gave me a reason to belong in that family even more. And then as I started shooting photos, I mean, people never took me seriously back then, but it created, um, what has become of my career now yeah that's pretty what did, you, what did your parents think about one you skateboarding and then two like getting into photography did they, did they have like a different vision for your life or they just wanted you to be happy and do what you want my parents definitely were very fucking cool and supportive and open but also very judgmental and coming from a very strict world where you have to have an education you yeah. have to get a phd you know i remember I worked my ass off because, again, I'm really frugal and good with money. So I bought my first house when I was like 24 in L.A. as a photo assistant, making like 100 bucks a week. That's incredible. And like I did that because I busted my ass. I bought it with an ex-boyfriend 50-50. We split it when we broke up. I bought him out. But that was like a big accomplishment to buy a house in Highland Park in 2008. Yeah, that's huge. That's amazing. Okay. 24 too. Yeah, and it was like I was photo assisting. I wasn't making shit for money. But Damn. when I did that, it was one of those things where I thought that would be something that my parents would be proud of. And they would just keep saying, go back to school and get your degree. They didn't get it. They didn't get how important that was, especially to purchase like a place in Los Angeles, yeah. one of the more expensive cities in America. Yeah. So they were supportive, but they also didn't understand. And then as far as the skateboarding went, I mean, with the art, my parents kind of like said, fuck it. Do you? We can't force you to be you know, a person like us because yeah. everyone, my two older sisters have like three PhDs each. They're all super geniuses. And my parents, my mom spoke seven languages and my sisters spoke five and Damn. my dad spoke four and everybody just has their thing. But as far as the skateboarding thing went, I think I was having such a hard time understanding how to be a kid in America that when I found that, my dad was like, okay, I'll take you to this thing called a skate park because one of his students at school told him about skate parks and I became uh. friends with his students. So when I was 12, I was hanging out with 18 year olds cause they were wow. going to college. And then these 18 year olds took me under their wing and they were like kids that would go to the skate park. And so once my dad dropped me off at the skate park and he's like, wow, it's crazy to watch you just fall and eat it and eat it and hit your head and hit your tailbone and get bruised and get bumped into and fall down over and over and over. And he's like, you just get right back up as if the concrete didn't affect you. And I think my dad's seeing that in me made him trust the fact that, okay, if I drop you off at the park and come back in four hours, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Because there's resilience there. Totally. But that resilience, it definitely came 
from that Eastern block mentality. It's yeah. such an ancestral thing. It's not just being a tough kid. It's the immigration. It's like what the, sh- like the crazy shit my family lived through, you know? Yeah. So I think that's where it came from. It's pretty amazing. Just, just like how skateboarding is, is such a uh, freedom and expression and release and everything. And how like, same for me, I got into skateboarding around the same age when I was like 12, maybe it was 82. And it just changed every, everything for me. And I was like the black sheep of the family. I feel like you're like the black sheep of the family as well. Yeah. And then you find your people, your tribe. Yeah, totally. You know, it's like. And it's the family too that now, so many years later, like I stopped skating in my 20s once I didn't get a chance to be a skate photographer. Like I'm still trying to be the first woman to shoot the cover of Thrasher. Wow. But I don't know, <laughs> know if anyone's going to let it me. It could happen. You never know. No, I hit up Mike Burnett. I DM <laughs> him, but he doesn't write me back. <laughs> um, but um, it's like, you know, it's one of those things that I like know the best people I've ever met through skateboarding and I'm still friends with them. Like kids that I knew yeah. from the time I was 14 and like we're forever going to be like bound by blood. You know, it's like my brothers, my sisters. It's like such a tight family. Yeah. So you start taking pictures more than you're skating at that point when you really fall in love with photography? It was both. I mean, I was like, I was such a skater till I like moved to California when I was 20 and I moved to California to actually start pursuing skateboarding photography. Okay. And I remember going to Big Brother and I had, um, I don't know, it was Big Brother or Slap. I think it was Big Brother. It was at some, in some building on Wilshire back in the day. And I remember I had my portfolio of all the skate photos and like, you know, I worked at the food court at Fiesta Mall at Miss Field's Original Cookie Company when I was 14. I lied about my age, told him I was 16 <laughs> so I could save money so I could buy a Nikon F5 camera. And yeah, I was going to ask you them. how you afforded your first camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I lied about my age. And then a week <laughs> before my 16th birthday, they found out that I wasn't of age, so they fired me. But at that point, I saved enough money in two years to buy a Nikon F5 and buy film. Wow. And so how much is that camera back then? I don't remember. Probably 500? I don't know. More maybe, but like so much for a kid. Yeah. I mean, I'm 14, you know. It's yeah. Like a like dollar feels like a thousand, <laughs> you know. But I still have that relationship with money. I feel like every I'm still super frugal and I still live in that mentality, which is good. Cause yeah, because you bought a house at 24 being frugal. It's pretty yeah. sick. Yeah, totally. So, but um, when I started shooting more photos, uh, I skated equivalent to like the same amount of time as I would shoot photos. But then when I went to um, interview like a big brother, I was like, hey, look at all my sick photos I shot. And I had like the fish eye that was really expensive. I bought the camera. I got the sequences down. I had the film. I had the lights. I had the strobes. I had the pocket Damn. wizards. I had the whole kit. But I was shooting local kids in Arizona. And since they weren't pros, nobody would take me seriously. And I'm like, well, the pros won't take me seriously, but I need to have an opportunity and a chance to come up with somebody. So like I just shot photos of all the local kids, like best skater ever, Jared Saba. Love that guy. He like shot photos with me all the time. He was the sickest skater ever. But when <laughs> I went to Big Brother and I showed him everything, they're like, we don't know who these people are. Plus, you're super young. No one's going to take you seriously. And no one's going to take you on tour because they won't take you seriously or they're going to try to fuck you. So Damn. that's it. And I was just like, cool. I literally worked towards this for like eight to ten years. And then my dream was shattered because I was going to move to L.A. And then I was able to shoot photos of like pro skaters because there was going to be respected as an artist, as a photographer. But here's the only difference between me and all those other guys. I'm a woman. And I never realized that at the moment. I just thought I wasn't good enough. But I was good enough because I was shooting photos the same way that a lot of these other guys were shooting photos. And it's funny because the people that would never give a shit or give me the time of day back then all totally respect me now as a photographer. Wow. 
like you know 25 years later but it's kind of like i know i know that i remember the people that didn't give a shit and yeah. then i remember the people that did give a shit so but it was in you yeah yeah and it was like a unique ex- unique experience so by the time i came to california in my early 20s and i ro- like really wanted to shoot skating and it wasn't happening and nobody gave me the time of day except for like some of the black label dudes like patrick melcher was always down adam alfaro jim gagney like ragdoll those guys they were like yeah you can come shoot with us but nobody else did and i was like i'm not gonna be able to make money or shoot ads or anything so I was like, fuck it. I guess I'm not a skate photographer anymore. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck skateboarding. I'm over this. Because it just was like such a sad breakup, you know, like purpose. And then I was like, I'm getting I was getting older and like I didn't want to get hurt. So somebody told me to um, start assisting photographers. And I'm like, what's that? What does that mean? And they're like, that's when you work for other people. And I'm like, why? I'm already a photographer. I've already been shooting for like the local newspaper in Arizona <laughs> and the magazines. And at one point when I was like 17, 18, I got flown out to Paris and oh shit. to Barcelona to shoot like an all girl skate trip back then. And I was like, wait, cool. what? You guys are flying me out and I have my own apartment and you guys are going to pay for my film. This is crazy. So that's when I realized that you can have photography as a job. Yeah. But then I come to LA, you know, I was like a shark in a, puddle in arizona and here i was like a little sperm in an ocean nobody gave a shit about my existence so i was like okay i guess i'm gonna assist and then i started assisting photographers for years and years and years but i was always shooting photos i never stopped shooting photos ever i never got discouraged i always shot photos from 14 to now and i'm still like obsessed with it like taking pictures is my favorite thing storytelling is my favorite thing if i didn't have that in this lifetime I don't know. I might yeah. be a psychologist or a dog walker, but I'm so <laughs> grateful that my soul found that connection to tell stories. Cause I think that that's truly my purpose and I'm so fucking grateful for it. Yeah. That's beautiful. And, and you, when you graduated, that was your goal just to go to California. And that was, that was what you're going to do. I dropped out right before I graduated. Oh wow. And my parents got real pissed, but I was like, you know what? They don't even let me take any more photo classes and I don't have a purpose to like f- continue an education at Arizona state university when I can go to California and get paid for an education. Cause assisting at first you intern, then you end up assisting people that are paying you to teach you about the world of photography mm. and all that mattered so much. Like being in the car with the photographers I worked for and hearing them on conference calls with clients and how they would navigate problem solving and how they talk about their ideas and shoots was such a blessing to have because nowadays everyone's like, you know, 18, they have an iPhone and they're already a photographer, Yeah. but they're getting set up for failure when clients hire them and pay them a lot of money to do something they have no experience doing. Like they should be assisting. They should be having those ears in the back of the car, listening to what a conference call sounds like, you know, it's just like, true. it can't be just handed out too easily because people really do have to go through the step-by-step process and you can figure it out and you can YouTube university your way into anything, but I don't know. I really like enjoyed my experience of learning something under other people's wings. Yeah. So you quit. So what are you like 17? So at this point I'm like, in, when I moved to California, I'm 1920. And when you quit, we just stand around town for a little bit working. And then, yeah, when I was 20, I'm, I moved to LA and then I just kind of stopped. I tr- I kept trying to shoot skate photos for a couple of years after that and kept skating. But like my family, my skate family wasn't here and it was in Arizona and here it was just like, going to like Hollywood high and somebody doing something ridiculous, you know, and they just yeah. have all their fancy photographers with all their fancy gear, with all the <laughs> pros, with all their fancy cars. And I was just like, there's another disconnect. There was another like rebirth of myself, like moving. It was another new immigration to California from Arizona Yeah, as a female skate 
skater and skate photographer where nobody knows who you are and nobody takes you seriously just how like nobody took me seriously because i couldn't speak the language 10 years earlier true and those rebirths happen every decade in my life Mm -hmm. it's really weird so there was no uh women photographers back then either i mean there was women photographers i just didn't know any female skate photographers yeah so i don't i'm sure there's plenty now and i'm sure there was some then but you know with the lack of internet there was not that connection so i have like this massive portfolio of skate photos from the 90s and the early 2000s and i'm actually that's my next book that'd be awesome it's a book about like the entire archive of then and i don't know how many women have done that from that time maybe they've done it now but i don't know if there's a lot of people that have published books about skateboarding in the 90s and it's not it's not like you know when i say this to a lot of my skater guy friends i'm like oh i'm making a skate book they think it's just like portraits of pros from the last 25 years and i'm like no they're like action shots like lit with two flashes (laughs) down a rail like they're like skate photos you know what i mean and it's funny because last month I got my like second paycheck in 25 years from shooting a skate photo of my friend Aquazi doing a wall ride. And it was for like a truck company for their catalog. And they paid me 150 bucks. And I was like, sick second photo I've ever gotten paid for in skateboarding. And before that, it was like my ex-boyfriend, um, Ethan Fowler, for a Ruka ad. Oh, wow. And I've only shot like two ads in like 25 years in skating. So the fact that skating didn't work out is um a blessing because then advertising worked out and advertising brought me into a whole nother gamut and world yeah. of photography. And then it also opened up my uh, creative freedom to make personal projects that I do on the side. So Yeah, so how long were you doing the assisting before you started selling your own photos and getting hired to take photos? I mean, I was always kind of getting hired to take my own photos like with lookbooks and like little tiny brands and stuff, but it wasn't until I was like 26 that I shot my first ad job. And back then, being 26 was really young because you got to remember there was no internet, there was no um, Instagram accounts, websites were expensive and difficult and coding and hard to make, so that didn't exist. Yeah. So if you're getting hired at 26 to shoot advertising, it's kind of like, holy shit, how did people know you exist? You know what I mean? Because you Mm -hmm. weren't one of these established photographers. But from 20 to 26, I was assisting. And then I think I was assisting for quite a while, maybe 27, 28, still while I was shooting ad jobs because I was like not willing to let go of that paycheck yet. Yeah. So you're still doing what you love at that point because you're working with photography, whether you're taking them or not. You're still assisting, you're making money, and you're still like, you're on on your like road of, stuff you love to do still yeah and i was always shooting my surroundings and at that moment in time too from 21 to 30 i was in a metal band so we traveled the world what (laughs) (laughs) what did you do in the band i played guitar and what were you guys called it was called green and wood and it was just like a super stoner rock sabbathy band okay i just played um rhythm guitar and kind of a little bit of lead guitar towards the end and we traveled south america and europe and a lot of different places and so i was photographing my surroundings in the metal band in my early 20s and then i put it um put that together with just portraits of people on my journey through the world and i made a book when i was like 25 called bite it you scum and then that's what like kind of uh got the attention of my photo agent who i've been with since for 15 years they found out about the book and i've always self-published books and so that's kind of how like i started doing the world of advertising and had the support in that way but that's cool yeah and playing music was like the substitute to skateboarding like i kind of like walked away from that family but not really they were always my friends skaters and metal kind of mixed and then like when i started playing guitar 
it was really cool to have another sense of brotherhood that was like me and three dudes and just like a sense of family. It felt very similar to skateboarding. Yeah. But yet again, it was still me on tour with like 30 guys (laughs) covered in tattoos with long hair looking like Vikings. And I was like the only woman. Wow. And then funny enough in advertising, it's like 6% of women shoot advertising because a lot of women shoot a lot of different things in fashion, but in the advertising world, they're shooting motorcycles and cars. Like the stuff that I love to do. There's still only 6% of us and then directing commercials and stuff like that's a lot more common for women now, but it hasn't been. So it's always like, why am I choosing always to be a man <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah. <laughs> it's like why am i choosing this journey but that's just like I, I think that's like the process of my ancestry and the, mm. the where i came from to have a reason to be here to be like to prove that you have a reason to be heard and seen and if i'm strong and tough like a man maybe i will be but that's kind mm. of fucked with me in my 30s because it does fuck with your femininity then sometimes you're so alpha that you freak people out and so you have to understand how to um not be like that i guess or me but also like fuck that i am who i am 100 percent unapologetically myself but (laughs) i'm like learning that process right now because it's just such a unique journey to just be very independent and not need anybody but want somebody yeah you know what i mean You're, you're never married no, I was engaged for four years, but I guess that's what I'm circling back to is like <laughs> dating right now as an independent, successful 39 year old woman in a place like Los Angeles is so difficult. I can't imagine. Because one thing I'm learning is like a lot of people say they want their equal. They don't. Men don't want their fucking equal. They say it. But I when I experience guys that have their shit together like me. They don't like the fact that I have my shit together. Intimidated too. Totally. And I'm just like, we can grow and like grow a family and a life together and all these things. But then when the guys are like a little bit less successful or don't really have their shit together, they love you because you can like be their mom. You know Mm. what I mean? And it's such a weird dynamic. So I guess like I can't really say I need to change or soften up because I am who I am. You are. Yeah. It's just like observing this. I'm just like, is there like a weird dynamic that happened with the roles of women and men and women in power and women that have careers and are making money or sometimes making more money? And like, why is it emasculating to men? Like we wouldn't someone be excited to know that they're wanted, but not just needed. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I want to be wanted. I don't want to be needed. Yeah. You know? And that's fucking cool. Are you hopeless romantic? Totally. And I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm just too much of a giver. I'm a you giver know? too. Same. Yeah. And so that. Uh, I'm a very <sighs> emotional, sensitive, giving person. Yeah, me too. And that's what's hard because like people see me as this fucking ball on fire. But when you're in my intimate like bond, I'm a very like loving person that can definitely, I understand compromises. I've been in long relationships, 10 year relationship, a four year relationship. Like I've been in relationships from 17 to 37 mm-hmm. with six different people. And now it's funny cause <laughs> this is the longest I've been single and it's for two years. And I just started being like, okay, fuck it. My friends are like, get online and date. So you're on the apps right now. Oh my God. It's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> I got on them two months ago and I'm just like, this is a joke. D- dudes do not even talk to you. They will send you like a flame emoji when you look cute on your Instagram stories, but they will not approach you. They will not write you. They will not talk to you. There's just like this insane disconnect though too. It's like not real life. It's not, it's not real life. And it's like, there's this 
pussification of men <laughs> that has happened. Mm-hmm. And the good ones are taken. And a lot of the single guys are just like, they just, there's just so much, there's like a lack of courage and so much shame that people carry. And also ego. Like we shop for people the way we shop at like Costco. There's so yeah. many options. I don't want a lot of options. I just want basic human connection. Yeah. Being like, you're rad, I'm rad. Like, you know, it'd be nice to go on a date with a guy that would ask me questions. Yeah. Because I'm always asking questions. And actually listen to the answers too, though. Yeah. And I'm always asking the questions because for my job as a photographer and doing a lot of documentary work, I'm really good at asking questions. And I'm really good at like leading the conversation so it doesn't get boring. Yeah. But I'm just like, I don't want to be more fascinating or funnier or more inquisitive. Like, it's just finding people that are on the same wavelength. And guess what? Dating apps. I don't know, in the last two years after COVID, people got so fucking disconnected. Yeah, it's we like disconnected before and even worse now. Worse now, because a lot of people are like, oh, I met so-and-so on the dating app. So many people said that. And I was like, I don't hear that anymore, like in 2022. We have too many options. You can look at anyone's life on Instagram and be like, I want that, or I want a girl that looks like that, or does this. Or you can literally DM anybody you want. You have access to everybody. And there's just like, oh, I don't want to fight for this. Or this is too hard. Or like, oh, this girl wants me to chase her or ask her to dinner. That's too much effort. I'm just like, oh, my God. I, I'm asking guys to dinner. And eventually I'm just like, I can't. I literally could give a fuck at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I just want to make my art and hang out my dogs and yeah. travel the world with my friends. Because it's just like, you know, I kind of put off the dating app thing for a while. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll meet somebody cool and I put it off for a while and then I finally did it being like okay there's definitely cool people outside of my friend group here totally and it's just like fucking duds and when you try it it actually makes you more hopeless so I'd rather step (laughs) away from it because chasing unavailable guys is just one something I don't want to do and b I don't want to feel rejected yeah, it's, it must be a weird thing like picking somebody on the internet and then meeting them in real life with the reality of that as, as well. Not being catfish or anything, but is this really the same person that, that they're describing in their bio on this app? I don't know. I've never known an app. I mean, I'm just saying, like, the weird and interesting thing is like some people that want to sound like they have good banter and game or they like are funny, they can do that on a text. They can't do that in real life. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, oh, am I intimidating? And men just are nervous around me. But I make sure people are so comfortable because within the first five seconds, I just like, I know how to break down walls and barriers because I shoot like the gnarliest celebrities for the cover of the New York Times all the time. They're like, you have three minutes to have Joaquin Phoenix fucking love you and trust you. Go shoot the best photo ever. You know what I mean? So like, I am a professional at making sure people feel comfortable around me. Yeah. So when it comes to going on a date, I do that. And then I guess I'm just hitting a bunch of walls. But that's just intimidating to people th- that you do have your shit together and you don't need anybody. You own your own shit. You do your own stuff. But, but it shouldn't be an intimidating. It should be inspiring to somebody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, she got her shit together, man. It should be inspiring, They're but I got to say, me. like, being a person that also, like, does the work and goes to therapy and is healthy and, like, gives a shit and has a spiritual practice, it's so fucking lonely to be doing good and feeling good and having a good relationship with yourself. Because most people want to drink their way out of it. They want to fuck their way out of it. Whatever yeah. pain and grief they go through, they want to work their way through it. Workaholics. People don't sit in their, um, you know, certain situations of discomfort. It's like to get to pay attention to themselves. Yeah. And I've had a lot of very heavy things happen in the last three years and a lot of losses where I just needed to sit in it. And it's okay to sit in the sadness and just be and just exist and like yeah. do the work. And I feel so good at like just being my own friend now, not needing an escape. 
by getting dopamine from other people or from a paycheck or like a big ad job. Like I had to find like all that stuff got stripped away from me in the last year and I had to just like exist only in my feelings. And that's such a hard place to be, but I'm the strongest person I've ever met because I went through all of this shit alone and it's fucking awesome. Yeah. I want to get to that because I read, I read your post, uh, end of the 2021 losing your mom. All, all that stuff was heavy. And then also the Joaquin Phoenix picture you're talking about with the skateboard is amazing, by the way. Beautiful Thank photo. You. But I read your whole thing and talked about being suicidal and all. It, you got really deep and personal. And I even read what you said, like, you know, and this, this is a real heavy reality is like people that don't even know us on social media care more about us than some of our closest friends. I'm getting, I'm getting emotional thinking about it now because I read it and I feel the same way you feel about that. That hit pretty heavy for me. Like, some of, some of your biggest supporters are people who never even fucking met you in real life. And so you can go on the social media, you can vent all that stuff that I read about feeling suicidal, about losing your mom and all that shit. It was really heavy. But it's true. It's so true. And and even if it's not like a a real love in real life, but the people responding and commenting and like saying nice things about the loss of your mom and stuff you're going through, th- that stuff really connects. Totally. And, you know, it's interesting because the closest people to you sometimes don't know how to show up because yeah. they don't know that I'm feeling. I'm like an emo just saying that to you. Anyway, yeah, so. No, totally. But <laughs> it's like, you know, it's hard. And it's like a lot of people don't know how to show up and like we can't expect them to. And like at that point, I was kind of really needing a support system. Yeah. And so I got a support system from a bunch of strangers. And weirdly enough, most of the people that hit me up were people from Poland. Wow. But it was something that was really powerful because one of the first people I called after my mom passed was my friend Austin Gillette. He's a skater and he's a really good friend of mine and I fucking love him dearly, but he lost both of his parents, unfortunately. And I called him, not my closest other friends. I called him cause I just said, it's us and them, isn't it? And he knew exactly what I was talking about. Mm. He's like, yep. And I'm like, yeah, it's us, the people that lost parents and them, the people that haven't. And there's just a different understanding. Yeah. And so when I kind of put my feelings out, on the internet, I needed support that I wasn't able to get or an understanding I wasn't able to get from my friends and God bless my friends that did show up and knew how or yeah. didn't know how, but it was so important for me to connect with people. And that saved me. That saved me because so many people told me about their experiences of losing their parents yeah, or taking care of their parents or also culturally in Poland, how when your parents are older, you live with them or they live with you, you take care of them. And in our culture, you don't just throw them away in a nursing home or put them in a hospital yeah. forever, you know? So it was a very deep connection for me to be like, okay, I did the best I could. Thank God. Yeah. And you were there for your mom and she knows that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I I, uh, I lost my dad when I was three and I just started going to therapy last week at 52 years old. Oh my God, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been amazing so far. I got some books to read and one of my guests on this podcast uh, inspired me to do so. A girl named Jessica Alexander, you might know in the skateboard world, she does the Nike SB conditioning and training for athletes. Amazing. Skateboarders, yeah. yeah. Amazing human and she told me her story. And So yeah, I'm going to therapy because of that. So yeah, even at three years old, I'm 52, that shit still fucked me up. So I know what it's like. You just lost your mom recently too, you know what I mean? It's like... You never get over it. You know what I mean? You never get over it. And it's like, I'm really sorry about your loss because it's like, what a journey your whole life has been not understanding or like recognizing 
what you can do through therapy until now, but it's yeah. so amazing you did. You know, I never went to therapy until the biggest shit hit the fan in my life too, and I'm so grateful, but God, I wish I went when I was 19 so I didn't make the shitty decisions and choices that I made all of my 20s and 30s with the men I was with, with the choices <laughs> I made, with the drugs I did. But you know what? They also shaped me who I am, and thank God at like 37, I started going to therapy, or 36, I think, and that really shaped, like, I mean, I'm a changed woman from 37 to 39 just wow. by going to a good therapist doing the work and yeah learning a lot and I've been doing like dream analysis workshops with my therapist and like hypnosis workshops and learning how to put myself in a trance Damn, to do that too yeah to mention that for me to do deeper work and you know to be creative but it's like saved me and and that's what's so cool like I can be okay just existing and being alone mm -hmm. because I learned that like I am such a gift in this world to myself you know what I yeah mean? it's and beautiful we that and our parents you know whenever we lost them whether it's like when we're three or when we're 38 yeah they're looking out for us they're always with us and I've had some incredible connections with some people and healers that I know that I talk to where they help me communicate with my mom a little bit I know that sounds crazy to no, a lot it's of not people, crazy but at all no. I recently had something actually on Saturday that happened um and it was brought up to me and it like had i'm constantly learning after my mom's death and i'm constantly learning from her and she's constantly bringing me messages and new things for me to learn from and how to move forward it's insane how i can i connect. believe in all that man i really do me too i it's believe my dad's been watching over me and my brothers our whole entire life i see different things here and there throughout my life and i really believe that for sure totally and he is you you know you're like half of his heart and dna and everything like our parents yeah. are just, they are living, breathing things. And one thing I learned about death sitting at its face, holding my mom as she took her last breath was that <sighs> there is no end when you die. It's not the end of everything, your life, your, your breath or whatever, because it's just a transition. And it's not like her body entered me and, you know, when she passed away and I got her strength everything that wasn't mine to carry ancestrally i asked her to take to the grave with her a few days before she died and she agreed and wow. when she died she did me a favor she like took away a lot of the pain that wasn't mine to carry in this lifetime and that's what died the disease died the dementia died the cancer died the body died but my mother and her soul didn't die it just transitioned and she's almost closer to me now than when she was when I lived in LA and she lived in Denver and we just had phone calls. Like yeah. I used to always call her on my long drives and now I just kind of talk to her on my drives. Still. Which is funny because I probably look like a fucking crazy person <laughs> like driving to Big Sur with my dogs in the back and I'm just like windows rolled down and I'm having a conversation with a with a <laughs> ghost. But you know, and I also started praying, which I'm not religious, but wow. when she died, um I start praying every morning and it's like I get to go to my own little Magda church every morning and it brings me such a sense of self and a connection. Wow. So, cool. so you weren't religious growing up? We were. We were Catholic in Same. Poland. Yeah. And then we were Catholic here and then my parents were like, this shit sucks. And I was like, cool, you guys, <laughs> duh, I told you, I've been telling you for years. <laughs> And then we bounced. <laughs> but, you know, I understand why people go to church because there's a sense Same. of community. And, like, my dad's coming to visit me in two weeks, and I'm going to totally take him to the Polish church because now, as an adult, I find church and mass fascinating, like mm. how the priest sings in Latin, and I just love watching the... I look at it like a movie and I'm just taking away like the silence and the meditation of the echoes and that's nice. all it is for me. So I'll probably take him to church just to, like, have that experience. But, yeah. Yeah. So during the pandemic is when your mom passed. 
my mom passed last September, September 18th. We're still in it, kind of. 2021. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know, last summer I was with her for five months and it was such a funny time in life because I just went through a really gnarly breakup that was very confusing. You did? So I was grieving. And Jeez, then, and prior to that, I was going through a breakup with a fiance. So then I had like a year Fuck. relationship after that. So it was like grieving two really big relationships. Also like being at an age where I was like, I want to be a mother. Will I be a mother? What's that going to be like? Um, do I freeze my eggs? Do I not? That's a whole nother story of what happened with that. But that was kind of traumatic. But did you freeze your eggs? I tried to, and I had really bad side effects, and I almost bled to death. Oh, my God, Yeah, I almost man. had to get a like, blood transfusion. It was really bad. I was like with the 2% of women that it didn't work on. So I was like, you know what? If I ever have kids, it's going to happen naturally, but I'm not going to be able to do IVF. Like, I had a really, really bad thing. Like, I tried to freeze my eggs in April. In June, I almost bled to death in a hotel room. <laughs> from doing that from the process yeah yeah from the hormones oh it was really God. fucked up but i was going through so much loss Jesus last summer girl. and grieving <laughs> and grieving <laughs> through my mom and then like when she passed it was this or when she was passing you know i had to find a way to like release myself and so i was in denver sleeping on the couch taking care of her you know changing diapers that were filled with diarrhea and blood and pus and bathing her and carrying her body and wow. feeding her and vacuuming and you know changing the diapers a hundred times a day and washing her hair and doing this thing and reading her books and listening to edfpf and then it's like on repeat so when i was there i was a hundred percent there and then i'd fly, fly home to la to take care of my dogs take care of my house work a little bit here and there and then I'd fly back. So this was happening for five months and then eventually it was Brutal. happening that I was there like five days out of the week and I'd come home to LA for two days out of the week. But towards the end, like June, July, August, September, I would fly home and I'd just go to a bunch of punk shows, hardcore shows and just like, I wouldn't even get, I drink, but I wouldn't even get drunk. I'd just be sober and I would just like fucking like rage and just like watch all the kids in the wash pit and just like <laughs> listen to all these crazy hardcore shows and punk shows it. and just thrash and then just cry, 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 cry and get on a plane the next day to take care of like my dying mother and then be a nurse for four or five days and then come home and then just go to a bunch of shows and just like the juxtaposition of like screaming 18 year old hardcore kids jumping off a stage, stage diving to like weeping to Edith PF like while combing my mom's hair. Fuck. That was like my summer last year and so it was like super, super heavy, but like I don't regret a fucking moment. I don't regret a moment like you don't get that time back. So I'm so grateful. And I'm so lucky I got to have that. Yeah. How old was your mom? Seventy eight. Wow. So she was she had a stroke at sixty five, was partially paralyzed for the like that the remainder of her time and then she got Diagnosed with cancer two years prior, then she beat it, and then she um, got it again midsummer. And it was crazy the way I found out is I had a really rough year. I mean, I've had a really fucked up three years, but this was like <laughs> in the climax of like the year. And I remember um, I got some photos hung right in front of the Eiffel Tower and I went to Paris with my best friends and I was so honored to like see these huge, beautiful photos of this group of dancers called the Divas of Compton. Yeah, yeah, that's wow. Yeah, and so they were in front of the Eiffel Tower and I walked up, it was like June 24th or something. And as I'm walking up being like, oh my God, this is like the most amazing thing to make me feel proud. It's the first thing that's brought me joy this year. Wow. And right when I pull out my phone to like take a picture of the photos and me in the Eiffel Tower my dad calls me and he's like your mom's cancer came back she might only have a few months and I just like dropped my phone and like <sighs> collapsed on the floor and just started just like crying on the bench like looking at these pictures like that moment <sighs> of happiness just got pulled from underneath my feet 
And I was just like, fuck. And I remember Damn. just being like, when do I fly home? Do I fly home now? When do I fly home? And my dad would always pretend to be a little bit stronger than he was. And he's mm. like, you're good. You're good. Don't You don't need to come home. You don't need to come home. And I was like, fuck it. I'm coming home. And I was uh, supposed to go to Amsterdam the next day to work on a book that I was working on about my mom with a publisher. And I got there. And the day I got there, I was like, I have to go. I can't. I got to go home. And I just like took an emergency flight home. And I just flew straight to see my mom. And I'm so uh, fucking glad I did. And then after that, I just didn't leave her side for July, August, September. Wow, man. That's a lot, man. Mm, it was heavy. But, you know, like I look <sighs> back at it and I'm just like, I, I'm not even sad. And I miss her, but I don't because I'm so fucking connected to her. And I look at all this stuff. I mean, the amount of like even health shit that I've gone through this year, like even chipping my tooth two days ago and going to an emergency dentist this morning. Like when oh, you chipped it? Yeah, and then I tore my MCL surfing like three months ago and I couldn't walk for a month. And before that, I almost bled to death and all this crazy <laughs> shit happened this year. But at this point, I just laugh. Like you gotta laugh because you know what? I'm still so fucking alive. Yeah. But I notice when things are becoming a problem, my friends are like, damn, Magda, like one shitty thing after another keeps happening to you. Like you're gonna have to get a break. And I'm just like... But this is the break. Like, you know, it's the break being able to fucking laugh about it. Yeah. Like, it's all good. You have losses and all this stuff. But I fall asleep feeling safe with a roof over my head and food in my fridge. And I get to take pictures for a living. Are you kidding? I have the most incredible life I could ask for. Yeah, shit happens. But I'm not living in Ukraine having my house bombed out or in Iran getting shot because of what I am, you know, yeah. trying to show as a woman and so true it's crazy and i have some friends actually that are like skater friends of mine from san diego that are a part of a militia that are in ukraine right now posting how many people they lost this week wow you know what i mean so it's just like i'm grateful even for the things that are hard and fucked up i'm grateful every day to be like dear god thanks for chipping my tooth thanks for not letting me walk for a month thanks for letting me almost bleed to death or god or whatever the the, the universe the source and it just yeah. helps you keep on trucking. Resilience is a fucking, yeah, it's a thing <laughs> in my life, I guess. <laughs> and, and where is your dad now? Where does he live? My dad's actually in Denver. so I Okay, moved, they were together then? Yeah, my parents okay, have been together beautiful. for 61 years. Oh, that's incredible. So that's awesome. my dad and, I mean, we all moved here in the 90s, right? So my mom and dad lived in Arizona forever. And over COVID, like two, three years ago, no, four years ago now. Four years. God, it's so crazy. Um, me and my ex moved them from Arizona to Denver to be closer to my sister when my mom got cancer. And so we sold the family house. And the crazy thing is, as we were selling the house, there was a box of photos that my dad lost 30 years earlier. And he for sure thought my mom threw it away. And it was a box of negatives that no one's ever seen. And as we're moving out of this family house of 30 years, my dad goes in the attic if you can imagine an attic in Phoenix, Arizona is like 150 degrees year round. <laughs> yeah. So whatever's up there is just melted and fucked. Yeah. And my dad grabs one last suitcase and one last box and he hands me the box and he opens it and it's just full of negatives. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, could this be the box of photos I thought that was thrown away 30 years ago? And I was like, probably. I'm like, give it to me. Let me take it to my lab. So I took it to the lab and I got the film developed. It took a year because the negs were so damaged by the sun that they would just break. Oh, wow. They were just like brittle. And then photos that I was able to develop were photos of my parents' entire childhood pre-war, like during, like being born during World War II wow. and being young kids, teenagers, then them meeting, then them getting together, having children, getting married, losing a daughter, moving to America, immigrating, 
starting their lives over here. And so I got to learn through these photos as like my mother was dying. I was learning about her as a young woman and who she was That's before incredible. my father. And it was so amazing. So I'm making a photo book about her. And half of the book is from those photos that were found in that attic. That is and awesome. The other half are like the photos I shot of her for the last 10 years as she was my muse until the day she died. You know, I took a picture of her. She passed at three o'clock and I took a picture of her at three o'clock when I just put my hand on her head and I said, thank you for everything. You're beautiful. And she just went. <sighs> and then I grabbed my camera and I took a picture oh of that. And it was just like the most powerful thing because that became our love language. And so now I get to continue and immortalize her through this book, you know, so. Jeez, man. So that was an interesting, you know thing to find in the attic and then after my parents moved to Denver and my mom passed my dad stayed there but now he's in a place where he's like what's my purpose I mean I took care of your mom I did my duty until death do us part and yeah. literally did it till yeah. death do us part and they didn't have the most healthy relationship but you know they had enough of a commitment old school which people here and now I wish understood what um, fighting for love meant and commitment because yeah everyone's going to have a hard time but nowadays people are just like Cool, on to the next. On to the next. Yeah. Let me find what other girl is more fuckable on Instagram. Whereas like people back then, a lot of people shouldn't have stayed together. But the ones that did stayed together because they were solid motherfuckers. They understood commitment. And yeah. I salute that. You know what I mean? I'm 26, 27 years married now. Hell yeah. And you know that it ain't easy. But it's like yeah. so important to learn commitment. I wish in this current culture people would understand like it's not about a million options. It's like options um, took over the idea of like committing or objects I mean? people seeing women as objects just yeah. like oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna swipe i'm gonna spend the night with a girl and that's it like yeah totally totally i, I just I, I was never like that i was never a player i was never a one night stand guy i never understood any of that shit man yeah and it's like that that's like what it is you know and that's all it is the fucked up part is like one of the dating apps is like connected to my instagram so guys see just a bunch of self-portrait nudes and they just think that it's going to be like that kind of <laughs> vibe and i'm like oh honey you don't know this is art this isn't sex but in american culture if you're nude it's over sexualized so it's so funny True, but but, but, I, but uh, the Magdalene experience. I, I mean that that is just beautiful. Besides, if I mean obviously for the listeners, it's one of her Instagram. She has like seven hundred Instagrams, <laughs> but it's you naked all around the whole fucking world. Basically, I wrote down some of the places just in general, like Japan, Switzerland, Iceland, Italy, London, Poland, Portugal, Mexico, California, Montana, Arizona, Australia, Colorado, Utah, Texas, Ireland, South Africa, Scotland, Spain. <laughs> It's fucking, it, I think it's, I think it's beautiful, man. Thank it's you. so fucking cool. And it, it seems now talking to you, like hearing your story, it seems so freeing. There's something about it. It's like you're just being naked out there in the fucking world. It's, it's awesome. And you know, maybe it's like my life journey of finding my femininity because I've always been a man, you know, yeah. it's like me being like, how do I find a sense of self and freedom? And I mean, the whole thing started nude like 25 years ago. I was shooting those photos before I was 18. So, wow. so uh, those aren't on the internet, obviously, <laughs> but like I was exploring photography and the human form and the human body. And then once I was like in my twenties, I started taking these self-portrait nudes kind of like wherever I'd go. And then I put them on Instagram when Instagram became a thing, but this series has been going on way before Instagram. Yeah. And the reason why it was naked is because when I was young and I was poor and I was looking at the cover of magazines and all these girls had Chanel outfits on, I was like, well, I can't afford that. All I have is a ripped up flannel and some baggy jeans and some shitty skate shoes. And so mm -hmm. if I was to photograph myself in those clothes, I'd be judged as 
what music I listened to, what genre of people I belonged to, and my social class, my status, whether I had diamond earrings in or nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I decided to be naked because then nobody would judge me if I was rich or poor because I was so afraid of being seen as being poor, and that's why it became nude. <laughs> Were you nervous doing naked photos at first? or I don't You've always been comfortable in your skin in that sense. I think I was always comfortable in my skin because my mom always walked around naked. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't comfortable in my skin until I was in my 20s because I never wore shorts until I was like 25 because I had so many bruises on my legs from skating mm. that I was really embarrassed to show people what I looked like. But when I was shooting these photos, it was just me with me. They were self-portraits, and that was me having a dance with myself. Nobody else was there. So if yeah. they saw it later, it didn't matter because there was already a disconnect because it was about that experience I was having with myself so then I just started doing it all over the world and you know various people that are with me are now helping me take the picture I was going to ask you who takes those photos I mean sometimes I take ex-boyfriends or whatever whoever's God I just saw that movie um a triangle of sadness and it's like this there's this part of the movie where the boyfriend is taking photos of the like influencer girlfriend in her bikini like on vacation oh, man. and I was like god I hope my exes don't like compare me to that scene because to me I was like making art I wasn't like trying yeah. to sell something um but yeah a lot of friends assistants on jobs you know I also taped my like phone to like <laughs> the wall with my bag tags from my suitcase in a hotel room so it's like an eye level or I would just prop it in a tree like I've done the most fucked DIY, up yeah. like I, I've taped my phone to like the ceiling fan and taken self-portrait nudes like that you know <sighs> however you can figure it out but sometimes if there's a person I'm just like hey I'll set the whole shot up and they'll do it but the interesting thing is I noticed that like in American culture the minute's nudity then it's over sexualized and yeah. it's like oh it's sex 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 and i'm like i'm not sitting there with like lingerie on tr nah. like, like luring i see it as art in. i see it as beauty art. and art yeah yeah and it's like i've had to run from cops for being naked i was gonna public. ask you that like i've had to climb over ice cold glaciers in iceland to stand in like a field of snow like i've put myself in some windy fucked up situations on cliffs horses that were gonna trample me like and you're Damn. naked and barefoot. <laughs> so, so you'd be chased by the cops and I mean all of it on people's properties. Like, what are you doing? Totally. Yeah. I mean, just I've caught in, into so many fucked up situations. Does anybody ever come out and try to take a photo of you as well? Probably that I didn't notice. Yeah. Or I mean, I've definitely like I got naked in front of the Eiffel Tower, and I'm sure people were just like, "This chick is crazy," but I'm so good at it. I do it so fast. In front of the Eiffel Tower. I mean, I just like stripped down to my ankles. Somebody <laughs> shot it from the from the knees up, and then I was good. Holy shit. Yeah, like I've just, I'm sneaky. I'm really good at it. I can do it in like three seconds, you know? And your parents saw those photos on there? Um, yeah, they did. And I mean, my well, my mom never understood what I did till the day she died. <laughs> She's just like, when we, I got a photo of me and her on the cover of the New York Times, and she goes, Magdusha, now I can write a book about what it's like to be famous before death, Aww. but I don't know what the New York Times is. <laughs> That's a great impression. I don't know your mom, but that sounds... Yeah, totally. So, I mean, <laughs> she, like, and, you know, she's like, why would anybody want two naked ladies from Poland on the cover of magazine or newspaper? I'm like, mom, the New York Times is a big deal, and this photo is literally changing the conversation of how we treat elderly people in America or in the world, and everybody recognizes it, but she just didn't get it, you know? That's amazing but what happened, yeah. they were down with the Instagram. They're down with everything I do, and, like, I was so annoying the last 10 years making videos and taking photos of my mom, and my dad um, was like always annoyed that I was always taking pictures of everything. And then after she died, I made a little compilation video of um, like our time with her and all the photos. And then my dad's like, thank you for doing that. That's Thanks amazing. for That's being cool. annoying for a decade. And I was like, <laughs> Paid off. 
I was like, I fucking told you so, Dad. <laughs> but now, back to my dad real quick, he is moving back to Poland. Oh, wow. After 30 years, and he got a job at the University at Warsaw, where he met my mom when he was 16, when he was a student there. Then he was a teacher there. That's incredible. In the 80s, and then he got a job offer there to teach psychology again, so he's going back to work at 80. All of our family's still there. His friends from the time he was in Boy Scouts when he was seven, they still live there. So cool. His TAs, his students, so he's going to go there, and I'm really excited because now I'll, I'll be able to go home and connect to like my like home yeah you know because like when you're living in america your whole life but your brain is trained in the eastern Bloc culture you don't know if you identify as an american or you don't know if you identify as a pole and so i've always had you say pole pole yeah so it's like it's this this in between and you don't know who you are and so i'm so glad in my like halfway through my life i can start going back to where i came from because i'll be visiting my dad two to four times a year and I'm so fucking stoked he's moving back there. That's really cool. It's beautiful actually going back to where he's from and yeah to go die there you know. Yeah. And it, I, I want to make a film there too about my parents relationship and kind of the idea of immigration and things so it's something I'm working on now so I'll make the film in Poland and, and like three quarters of it will be there and one quarter of it will be in America. Yeah. So when that happens I'll be spending a lot of time there and I'll just get to like live there as an adult for a little bit. I'm so excited. That's pretty cool. And then these photos on the on that look at me card a book called The Experience you might be putting out. Yeah, so I put out a book about that already in 2015, and then maybe I'll put out another book later on as the photos evolve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How many books do you have out now? Um, The Experience, Leftovers of Love, Leftovers of Love. You have that here. Fight too. it, you scum. And then I'm working on the skate book, so that's four. And then the mom book is going to be five. And then wh- what's like your favorite? kind of photos to take is it lifestyle is it everything street commercial sports it doesn't really matter you just love taking photos it's not a specific kind of genre of photos or i mean i just love human connections yeah. so whether i'm shooting a job for facebook like you know photographing families on tablets to like shooting skaters and gutter punks you know i love yeah. it all because i just love connecting with people i mean advertising is great because that's like what helps me make the money to put out the art that i want because i've self-published all my books and it's cool so it helps me create like the the things that i like and then i love just shooting people and their environments and i love shooting you know people for editorial magazines as well because i would never get the opportunity to meet people like george clooney if i wasn't shooting them for an editorial and then you get to like hang out with them and you know their publicist says you have 10 minutes with them and then you end up spending two hours with Clooney in his driveway talking about love heartbreak space and tequila <laughs> and you're just like that was the driveway in those pictures that was like my driveway moment with that him you know photos too, yeah. he gave me like love advice because that's like right after I went through the breakup my mom died and he was like it, it took me till I was 60 to find the love of my life and now I have two kids and the most amazing wife and I was like you're so cool he is cool he yeah. looks pretty awesome too. Still looks amazing, right? Amazing, yeah. And then he's like, "You drink tequila?" I'm like, "Yeah, sometimes." So he like signed a bottle of tequila and brought it out to me. And then we <laughs> talked about my friend Jessica Mir, who's the coolest astronaut ever. And we just talked about space because he's known some space stories I'm playing I'm movies sure. in space. Yeah. How about Joaquin? He was awesome. Yeah, I mean, definitely like had to prove to him that I'm not going to be a pushover. Mm. You know, there was definitely that like he fucked with me for sure but once he knew that i wasn't gonna have it like we totally bonded and it was a great shoot and you know oftentimes when these people come on set and they're like we have 10 minutes and i'm like cool i have seven setups they're like why we're only gonna need one photo and i'm like 
we're going to need as many photos as we're going to take because they might run more. And of course the times didn't run one photo. They ran like a bunch of photos. Mm. And then the one of him sitting on the skateboard ended up being like one of the most rebloged photos of my career. And one of the most oh, liked awesome. photos on that New York times Instagram. And so it's cool. And then, you know, Todd Phillips was with him and I got to meet Todd through him that directed the Joker. And through yep. that, like I got to like connect with Todd and see like his world and, you know, watch his life through Instagram and he follows me on Instagram. So it's like a cool way to be people that I would have never met otherwise through yeah. shooting that kind of stuff. So I really love photographing people like that. For instance, Brian Johnson, who I just photographed for business week that we're going to have lunch with this yes. weekend. I mean, I would never meet these fascinating, incredible people in science and in the world of technology. Um, by just being a skater <laughs> or a metal <laughs> chick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is there somebody you'd love to take photos of that you haven't yet? Iggy Pop, 100%. Wow. So be amazing. A long time ago, he was on the cover of Mojo Naked mm. when he was like younger. And I've always wanted to get a photo of me naked with him for the Magdalena experience of us just like, cuddle, not, not cuddling, but him <laughs> standing frontal, but cu like with his junk covered and me with like my, the Magdalena experience, like him doing a version of the mojo cover mixed in with the Magdalene experience. If I could just put those two together, like I'd have to photograph Iggy Pop. He's like a fucking legend. Well, the Jenny Jackson photo. Oh my God. Yeah. With the boobs. <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. Iggy but Pop yeah. would be him. He looks, he still looks amazing. He's amazing. He's just amazing. He's so cool. And still sounds good and looks good and goes off. He's like 70 or something. Yeah. 70 something. And he's playing at the well turn in December. Let's go with, I think, um, the strokes. Oh, that's sick. I haven't even seen him before live. Oh my God, are you serious? So you like shooting live bands too? No, because it's yeah, the I same really, I thing. Yeah, I didn't see that. It's like the Much same thing over and site. over. I'm kind of like, it. also, you, like, if I go to a show, I want to hear the music. It's like, if you're in the front shooting photos of this band, it sounds like shit. <laughs> when everyone's like feeling special that they're side stage at some insane festival, it's like, cool, you can't even hear the band. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? Like, I'll go for two songs just because I'm like, mm, this feels special. But I'm like, I want to get in the crowd. I want to be with everybody and just, like, get in the nitty gritty. And, like, I love feeling the energy of people. Yeah, you it's know? cool not to bring your camera. Just go have fun and be, in the, and be in the moment. Totally. And it inspires me. Like, I just recently got re-inspired to be like, fuck, I should start another band. I haven't played really? in 10 years. And now I'm like, am I too old to start a punk band at no, 39? No. Okay, cool. You want to be in my band? I might. Sick. <laughs> was that your first band you did last? Was that the only band you've been in since? Only band. And I wow. only played like stoner rock. And then I was like, punk is easy. It's just a bunch of power chords. And if you play sloppy, it sounds fucking great. True. So I wrote a bunch of riffs and I'm like ready. I have like 10 songs. I'm ready. And you didn't start playing guitar until you moved to America? Mm -mm. Yeah, I didn't play. I mean, the first song I learned was like Nirvana and Metallica song because everybody in Poland loves Metallica. Yeah, everybody in the whole world is. They're playing here too next month. <gasps> they are? Metallica? Yeah. Let's go. I just met Lars, and he's actually fucking cool. Mad cool. I'm friends with him too. Mad cool. Okay, he's so awesome. So many people talk shit about I him. I know. He's so cool. So I met him at Taylor Hawkinson's tribute show. I was at this show too. Okay, we should have hung out. That was an amazing show. That was an emo-ass show. That was incredible, yeah. man. Yeah, that backstage was hilarious. Like, Wait, he did the Dave Grohl book too. Yeah. That's in my notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first person I bumped into was Joan Jett, and she's just like rolling joints <laughs> on. She's what? <laughs> just rolling joints all night. And then the second Gangster. person I bumped into was like Tommy Lee. And I was like, this is the most interesting Dude. backstage I've ever been to. But I met Lars like the night before because I stopped by sound check. And uh, Dave's a good friend of mine. So it was like me and Sebastian Bach and Dave Dude. and my best friend, Sam Veldi. You know, Sam Veldi. Yes. Yeah. He's like my brother. He's the best. Uh, but Lars and I just started talking about communism in Poland and Poland and Metallica playing in Poland and just like the 
like his life as a drummer and the band and he just knew so much cool shit and he was so fucking cool and inquisitive and we talked for like an hour and I was like whoever talks shit about Lars can go fuck themselves because this dude rules he's so nice I hope he listens to this podcast and puts yeah. this on the guest list for the Metallica show I just had his wife on the podcast too Jessica <laughs> okay sick um, so we're getting in <laughs> yeah I took him and his I took him and his uh, kids to the barracks to skate it was nice oh my god amazing yeah I want to go to that show and I'm talking to Rob right now about being on the podcast as well. Amazing. I'm, I'm putting it out there. I don't want to jinx anything. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, shout out to Sam too. Sam's incredible too. What an awesome human. So, Sam is the best. Dude. The fucking best, yeah. I've um, known him for like 18 years. Uh, I was going to ask you uh, another question is, um, do you spend a lot of time on social media? Because you do have three accounts. No. <laughs> I was going to ask. I have a house account for the Adobe I restored for six years. <laughs> I post once a f- four months there. So you're not checking DMs, you're not looking at any of that stuff? And you're just mm, no, not if I don't need to. Then, like, my photo account is just to, like, let people know I exist. So people are like, oh, yeah, hire Magda for this, um, you know, campaign. Yeah. And I also love sharing my work. And the cool thing is, you know, sometimes you get to actually inspire people. And 100%. People are just like, oh, this is a cool way to look at the world. And weirdly enough, I don't look at other people's work, and I never have. When people are like, who are your idols or what's your inspiration? I never had that in photography mm. because... I don't know if this is selfish or out of ego, but I never wanted to feel like I'm copying someone. I, or I never that. wanted to feel like I was looking at other people's work to influence my own. So I just close my eyes and I just do Magda and whatever happens, that's what's happening. Uh, I kind of like that. I don't listen to, to be honest, I don't listen to the podcast either. Sometimes I'll watch a couple on YouTube here and there, but I don't, I stay in my lane. I do my thing here in the kitchen and I don't try to like see what other people are doing. You know what I mean? I'm like, totally. I like that. And I love that too, because you're just kind of like, Oh, you're just doing your thing. And so many times when I had an idea for a shoot or a film, people are like, oh, you know, somebody's already doing a coming of age story being from Poland or blah, 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 blah. And you get like discouraged and you're like, yeah, yeah fuck that. But that's not mine. And also it's, it's not, my not story. mine because I didn't get influenced by my story by looking at other people's work. So I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram because I'm not looking at other people's lives. Also, it's kind of poisonous and I don't fucking want to. Yeah, like I've been through a lot last couple of years. I think yeah, social media. I don't. I don't need to be looking at like who I lost a job to or who my ex boyfriend's mm. hanging out with. Like I don't. I just rather go and like look at the trees outside and watch the bees yeah. pollinate my roses. Like I don't need to put like self inflicted harm. So I'll post and then I'll let it go. I like and that. then when I post a lot of photos, that's when I check my DMs to have conversations and like be engaging with my fan base but i'm not really like looking and then the magdalena experience like i only post once a month once a month yeah do you have a bunch of photos already haven't posted yet yeah sometimes i mean i used to do the nude experience post like every day and i was like god it's real hard to get naked in so many places all over the world (laughs) and keep up with these fucking pictures and i try to never repeat them but sometimes i'll be like hmm what is my mood you know yeah and like what do i want to talk about and i actually think about it now and i curate it is it like you know, like I did the big thing about like suicide and having a hard time. F- and that yeah. was for New Year's because I wanted it to like bring into the new year, like an idea of like a sense of self and a new beginning or for a birthday. It's kind of a recap. And then like for fall, it's a recap and for different times. So I always post based off of something that's happening in my life. I think about it. Yeah. Like I give a shit. Yeah. I curate it. I curate it for sure now. And so it's cool. How do and, you it, fe- and it's less pressure when you curate it. It's not like I feel like I have to. It's like I want to, and this is what's going to go out in the world. If you like it, great. If you don't, whatever. And then I just don't really look. How do you feel now this year? Like, how are you doing this year? Like, compared to, like, in a good place? I'm in a really good place, but this year was like so many 
health issues back to back yeah. to back to back to back to back and then like the idea of like dating that w- you know just it's still a shit show but i'm all good because i've just gone through so much shit that i'm like all right i'm fine like yeah, I, you've I, been I, through I, a lot yeah and I, I just have a good relationship with myself and the thing is most people i think would either feel like a victim if they're in my shoes or would feel hopeless and i don't because i wake up in the morning and i'm just like i am so blessed i am yeah. so grateful i feel safe I have food in the fridge. I have a safe place to sleep. Do what you love. I do what I love. I get to meet incredible people. I get to do stuff like this, like be on a podcast and talk about <laughs> my life. Hopefully somebody gives a shit. You know what I no, mean? people do. <laughs> but you know, it's just so cool. Like it's so fucking cool. So I'm in a really good place, but I'm still going through it every single day. And yeah. sometimes it's a challenge, but I'm aware of it now rather than being scared of it. And when you're aware of your shit, you can really like process it and get through it. Yeah. Do you have any daily rituals you do? I mean, the praying, the the praying every morning, definitely. Like the kind of gratitude that I have. One, like I guess they call them mantras, but one thing I say to myself every morning now, like three times on repeat, is I choose to receive newness. I like that because I really want to experience things that I haven't experienced yet. Meet people I haven't met yet. Look at my career and work in a way that I've never looked at. Approach creativity in a different way. Approach my relationship with myself in a different way. Approach communication with others in a different way. So I really am calling in newness, and I love that. It I love feels that too. so good. I think another things people might be intimidated by the way you're talking too, and I, I feel the same way too. Like when you're comfortable in your own skin and you're secure, I mean we're, we're all insecure in certain ways, but like you know who you are, you're grounded, you like you lo- you're learning how to like appreciate and take care and love yourself. And some people get threatened by that when you're so like good in your skin too, right? Yeah, and I mean I don't know a lot, and I have a lot to learn, and I make mistakes all the time. Even like my therapist will yell at me sometimes, which I love her because she'll be like, "Magdalena, we have not done this much work for the last two years for you to fuck up and waste my time." And I'm like, "Damn," and <laughs> she says it, and I'm just like, "Thank you," but she's right because like I'll still make the same mistakes, and so I'm just a human, just and I humans, fuck up yeah, all the time. Not perfect. And all I'm doing is just gathering the tools. And learning how to use the tools. Because you can go to therapy all you want. And you can be as woke and enlightened. But once you start living in the real world, you have to know how to apply those tools. The tools just sitting in your toolbox don't do shit. Good point. So now I'm applying those tools. And that's when the challenges are happening. Yeah. So I know I'm going to face a lot of more challenges. But that's okay. Like, I just have a deeper understanding that this too shall pass. It all does. I I think you'll be a good mom someday. Thanks. I hope I can be. <laughs> I think you. I think you. I think you. You. I can. I just feel it. You know. Yeah, I mean, you're a caring, giving, loving, compassionate person. If 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 I can have kids naturally in my forties, then I'd be stoked. Right now, I'm just yeah. a good mom to two huge dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Red dog and Akira. I love you. <laughs> um, do do you get nervous when you start going to therapy that you might like because your your mind blocks out things from your when you were young that you would start like. Totally. No, yeah, that's what I'm nervous about. But you know, the cool thing is, though, I am so fucking willing for a change and willing to learn, and so eager to learn that I'm just like, here is everything, <laughs> because <laughs> I've just been making really bad decisions for so many years in my life with men. 
with life. Okay. A lot of things just in general and like self-worth and boundaries and standing up for myself and knowing like what I'm, what I'm truly worth, even if it's like in career, what I can ask for, what I should demand for. Cause I'm such a fucking people pleaser, whether it's to clients or lovers or friends. And I'm at this point in my life where it's like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care if you don't like me. I always wanted to be liked mm. and it was such a thing my mom had too. And I always needed a people please. And therapy allowed me to get to this place of being like, you know what? I'm good enough with myself that I don't fucking care if you like me. That's your loss, not mine. Same. I love that too. And that's such an empowering feeling. So and that, freeing. Yeah. yeah and, that, that t- and that's like, again, relationships, family, friendships, career, you know? So, um, but with therapy too, I just, was like, I'm going to get the most of this. If I'm paying someone to talk about my shit, I'm not going to like not divulge the things because those people aren't there to judge you. A really good therapist will truly help you reprogram your like neurological pathways of how you talk to yourself. And my dialogue with myself has never been good until literally two weeks ago. I remember waking up. Two weeks ago? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm growing and changing all the time, but are you harsh on yourself? Oh my God. Worst critic. I'm so harsh on myself and I'm like really, I have extremely high expectations of myself. So then I end up having extremely high expectations of my really close friends and my lovers Mm. and that's not fair. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can relate on the friendship thing too. Like you're such a giver and you're always giving and sharing and opening up to friends and having time for them. And then not, not, not that you want to receive the exact same thing back. But your your expectations there are at least going to be like how you I don't know, I, how well, you it's are like, I guess even when you write someone back because you have the common courtesy to write people back in a text you think that they would respond in a timely manner and people don't and I then know. you take it personally but maybe they're busy and all this other shit or maybe they just have shitty manners but it's <laughs> like I had to let go of so many things that were out of my control and accept so many things and the reason why I say it's like I fucked up up until even two weeks ago I started having better language with myself is because I remember like waking up. Um, my house turned 111 years old this year and I had a huge vampire party for my house. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Sh- Should have been there. I'm sorry. It was like 150 people just listening to typo negative. Like, Ty- you like typo negative? Of course. <laughs> like so blasting that and like prodigy <laughs> and ministry and nine inch nails and just like listening to like fucking awesome goth music with like a fog machine and red, red like light bulbs in oh. every light bulb in my house and candles everywhere and i had this huge upside down cross chandelier with candles hanging from my tree oh in the backyard and if you ha- didn't have fangs then you couldn't come to my party oh, no, i remember that but anyway like 150 vampires came we hung out and i danced till six in the morning and it was the first time i had fun in so long and then i woke up the next morning and i was so mad at myself for like being hung over and i don't really drink i drink mm. like once a month but when i drink i'm down a party you know and then i'll <laughs> smoke a bunch of cigarettes and i'm like Ugh, oh yeah. you do when you drink yeah, well, yeah that's part just, of the combo um, right yeah, yeah but it's like but that's like once a month right <laughs> i'm like gross this is not chic i'm 39 i should not be smoking and i definitely don't really want to be smoking ever again but i woke up the next morning and i was like oh you're such a loser why did you drink why did you smoke blah 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 and then i caught myself and i was like magda take a fucking load off you've had the hardest three years of anyone you know yeah if you wanted to party and rage till 6 a.m and get hammered and be hungover and smoke cigarettes and dance to typo negative till the sun rose (laughs) fucking let it be and i caught myself talking to myself in a really amazing way being like it's okay Mm. you got this because i say that to my girlfriends when they're hard on themselves or they feel bad or they slept with the wrong guy or they didn't get the promotion they wanted or blah 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 and i'm like babe it's gonna be fine we got this we got this we got this and i spoke to myself the way i would console a friend or a child 
Yeah. You have to speak to yourself the way you would speak to the child that you love because that's who we are inside. Yeah. And I was like, damn, I am applying those tools from therapy. Yeah, she told me, she's like, your inner child is around your stomach and then your adolescence is in your chest and then your adult is in your head or something like that. And you can talk to each other, right? Sounds like you have a cool therapist. Yeah, that's that's incredible though. She told yeah. me that last week. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when you start seeing it, you have these like aha moments and you're like, oh yeah, life is so fascinating. It like, is it's just connecting everything, right? Like just. Totally. And when you can have these aha moments in life, you realize that you're capable of anything, mind over matter. Like I still want to be a shredding surfer and I don't know how to surf because I just tore my MCL trying to surf. And I still want to be a race car driver and I still want to do so many things. Good goals, yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm like, fuck it, I'm almost 40, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) You feel like you accomplished so much with photography? Obviously you still love it, but is is there other things you want to accomplish with it that you haven't yet? I mean, the new chapter of my life that's so intimidating that I know nothing about that I do feel very called to do is make movies. I can see that. But it's just such a world that I'm like, holy shit, there are so many people that you need to know to even get your foot in the door for one meeting for someone to even look at a treatment of Mm -hmm. a movie you want to make. But I do feel like my purpose on this earth in this lifetime as who I am is to tell stories and connect with yeah. people. So I have three films in my head that I already am thinking and trying to make and pitching one of them. So the one with Sherry did skateboarding mm-hmm. in Oakland was beautiful. Yeah. Incredible. Sheer strawberry. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. What an inspiration, you know? Yeah. And those are just like little snippets of like moments in life. And I'm just very intimidated about how to tell a huge story, a journey, but I kind of already do it in pictures. Totally. So now I got to apply it in like a movement, which it's almost harder to tell a whole story in one picture because in a scene you can hear the music, you can set the tone, you can see the movement, you know, like in a film you almost smell the roses in the frame yeah. in a picture it's hard to do that and if i can capture that in a stills image i'm really excited to apply that into filmmaking what about like a story or a, um, a book about your life i mean your journey is incredible yeah there's definitely a lot of stuff around that idea <laughs> that i'm working on right now about some film stuff i want to make i mean i live in an in like that old 1911 hunting lodge and it's called the lodge the black lodge from um david lynch's films and yeah, <laughs> nice. that's like my Wi-Fi password. And um, just writing a movie of living in that house for 15 years, the relationships I've gone through, the people that lived there, the junkies that lived in my guest room, the people that got pregnant there, the people that got deceived there, the fights, the walls that got punched out there, the Damn. deception, the cheating, the loving, the crying, the barfing, the drugs, the abuse, the happiness, the laughter, the community, the gathering, the records that we recorded on Nate track from Rocket from the Crypt in my living room to wow. the band practices to the, you know, emotional moments to the, you know, dying mother to the kids that were born. I mean, the house in itself in the 15 years I've lived there could be a movie like the black lodge could be a movie and i always talked about it with my best friend amelia and she's like you need to write a book about that house i'm like fuck it let's make a movie about the house but that's just one of them because i'm definitely making a film about my mom that would be sick yeah really sick and the dave Grohl book you did the storytellers one right did you Mm -hmm. did you travel with those guys too yeah yeah i met them 10 years ago and was able to photograph them throughout the years and you know just felt so honored to be able to just be made like an equal like Mm -hmm. an artist to have a purpose to be there you know what i mean and like over the years dave became a really good friend and i was really stoked and honored that 
I shot a bunch of stuff for them for the New York Times two years ago. And after that photo shoot, like Pat Smears, like you're my favorite photographer. Awesome. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because you shoot everything in 15 minutes and you still make us laugh. <laughs> and I was like, thank you, Pat. But it was cool because like, I'll have an idea. I'll run it past Dave. And I'm like, what do you guys want to do for the DG's cover? And he's like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. You guys love drinking champagne and eating fried chicken after a show because <laughs> of your amount of sweat you lost sweating on stage for three hours. And like, I've toured with them and I've seen them eat fried chicken and drink <laughs> champagne on their plane and i was like this is insane because you're eating kfc on your plane <laughs> kfc wow. yeah kfc and then he's like that's a great idea and i'm like can you get us a plane and then the next day sure enough he's got a private jet and like a parking lot Damn. and then we dressed him in disco outfits and we shot him for their dg's cover and then after the new york times shoot they used some of those photos for um their current cover of the most recent record and then just from that i think they were so pumped on the photo shoots that that's when dave's um people reached out to be like hey can you shoot his book cover and it was just really cool because it's like being able to like they have their artistry and i have my artistry and then being friends and being able to connect to doing that and since they know me they trust me and I love the fact that I get to do fun stuff with them rather than showing up with most bands. They're so image conscious and oh, they're just yeah. like, I don't want to do this. And their publicist is like, nobody's going to do this. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and with them, it's like, I'm very lucky because I have an in. I can just be like, hey, let's do this cool idea. And Dave's yeah. like, fuck yeah. And he'll think of cool ideas with me. And so we create awesomeness. It's not them just like on a white wall. It's like super boring. So yeah. we've shot some really cool photos together. And so when his book came out, we shot that at my house in the desert. And it was just like, you know, 30 minutes and there you go. Here's all the the pictures and the back cover. He was taking like a disco nap while I was prepping for the shoot. And I just shot a photo of him sleeping and that's the back cover. It's amazing. It's a picture of him and his daughter is beautiful too. Oh yeah. Violet's incredible. She's an amazing singer, man. Holy crap. Oh my God. Oh my God. When she sang Hallelujah at the beginning of the tribute show, I was fucking sobbing. Then Joan Jett comes out crying and then I'm sobbing and then everybody comes out (laughs) and plays and I'm sobbing. And then when, you know... Taylor's son came play drums and then everybody's sobbing and then the drummer Russ that played with them is the son of the drummer from Queen I believe oh yeah and they did the yeah yeah, and then he played with them and then he started crying because him and Taylor were good friends so for him to be sitting on that drum stool you know at one point he just started weeping and put his hands in his face and like the camera zoomed in and he's crying and I was just like holy shit I've just been like drinking beer and crying for seven hours with everybody but it was heavy, but it was beautiful, man. So beautiful, yeah. And Violet's such a cool singer. And she's actually starting to shoot photos now, too. Oh, that's cool. So I like um, told her which camera to get. And hopefully if I have a really cool job, I can bring her on. I would love to have her like come and check it out so she can like see behind the scenes what it's all about. Which would be cool to have her see it differently than see it through her dad's world. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? And like... The cool thing about Dave uh, is that they encourage like him and his wife encourage their kids to like get a job and be like normal people. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. It's awesome. It's also, yeah, I, 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 I get that with having a kid and being in the music world, nothing like his level, but yeah, you want, you want your kids to like, try something different than that. You know what I mean? Like don't listen to this. Totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? And also it's cause he came from like, you know, he grew up broke, like all of us, you know, yeah. just from a fucked up world and, Virginia. Virginia and just like, you know, working his ass off, playing the scream when he I was I saw like, a scream a million times and oh. I was like, yeah, photos of my photo album of him with long bleached hair. Oh my God, show me those later Incre- so I can send them to him. In- incredible, man. And uh, and like, my brother had a band in DC and he used to always play with Scream. So anytime I've ever met that dude, I saw that he was always super nice. Like, he's, he was my brother, yeah. Yeah, and he's still like a punk at heart. He you is, know what I mean? yeah, he's connected. He knows. 
Like he hasn't forgotten his roots or where he came from. And when he did that show, he traveled and played with the Bad Brains in Woodstock. Yeah. Was that one Sounds? I forgot what it was called. Traveling to each city and playing. Oh, um, so, uh, uh, Sonic Highways. <sighs> so sick. So sick. And then he like featured out of all the studios he could have featured in California. He featured Rancho de la Luna, Dave Catching's place oh, yeah. in the desert, which is so cool because it's like Joe Walsh will just be there one mm-hmm. afternoon. Then you see Iggy Pop coming out what, yeah. one afternoon. Then it's like Tanarowin. And, you know, it's just so cool. But he's like a very down to earth, real person. He seems that, like, like a humble person. Yeah. Humble person, loves life. And it's just him and I have so many similarities. That's probably why we're friends, because we're like little tornadoes. We go 100 miles an hour. And I was like, oh, finally, someone that doesn't think I'm crazy because I'm hyper. Because everyone's <laughs> like, you're so intense, Magda. I'm like, you're just lazy. And I think my intensity is called passion. And Dave's <laughs> the same way. He's going 100 miles an hour. But. One thing like a really cool bond him and I both had is that we're both like really connected to our mothers mm. and we really like had our mothers come into our world and into our careers and had that bond. And I've met his mom before and he met my mom and oh, that's amazing. it was really, really cool. It's so funny because one time me and him and my mom and like my friend Skylar and my friend Amory who works in my office with me, um, Skylar was building the sauna in my backyard. Amory was working in my office and Dave came by to say hi to my mom and the four of us are having, or five of us are having lunch in my backyard. And then he's wearing ripped up jeans and my mom goes, David, I thought you were a millionaire. Why do you have holes in your pants? And he goes, well, it's just the style. And he, she goes, I'll give you 20 bucks and you go yourself, buy yourself some new jeans. <laughs> and he goes, okay. And she starts laughing and he just puts his hand out and he's like, give me 20 bucks. So he made her. She did. Yeah, she gave him twenty bucks, and she's like, "But you're a millionaire." And he's like, "Yeah, but you said you'd give me twenty bucks, so he took it." I thought it was just so funny because, like, him and my mom had such funny banter. Like, they have the same dry sense of humor. You know what I mean? It's amazing. You know Jim Rota too, then? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Jim Jim for many years. Yeah, it's amazing. Jersey days. Totally. Yeah. Um, do you consider yourself an optimist or pessimist? optimist for sure but i'm definitely pessimistic sometimes because i'll definitely bitch about some shit and like <laughs> god bless my close friends where i'm just like blah 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 until i need to get it out but lately i mean doing the work and doing therapy i could definitely be bitching a lot about what i'm going through and i'm just like you know what that sucks or that fucking guy ghosted me or this happened or that but i'm like it's okay and i'm not not like i'm not pessimistic about it anymore because i'm like life's fucking great yeah Keep on. I'm just, you know what I'm excited about? The unknown. So many people are afraid of like not knowing of the, the future, future and, stuff. Yeah. and all the unknown. And I'm like, I fucking love it. I'm in, awe, it. I'm in awe and wonder of surprise. Like we as adults don't have the idea of awe or wonder anymore. And mm. the only thing we can really look at that as is the future of the unknown. Like for all I know, I could be living in Portugal next year with like three kids and two huge movies coming out or I could just be hanging out in Highland Park doing the same fucking thing I'm doing right now. But that's okay. They're both great. Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's true. You seem positive, though. Yeah. You gotta be. (laughs) You gotta be. Like, I mean, if I wasn't, I don't even know if I'd be here right now. You know? it's It really comes down to that. Yeah. What was the last real job you had that wasn't photography? Something, just a regular job. Do you remember? Yeah, I was a waitress at a nightclub fucking sucked <laughs> what was the place called it was called jets it was in scottsdale arizona i was like 19 and i'd go there working the night shift after skating the skate park and i had to wear mini skirts and heels and i just had bruises all over my legs oh yeah we t- yeah and all these creepy dudes would just like walk by you and like slap your ass and be like hey honey get me another beer and then they tip uh, you more if you like you know 
came around more often and it was just so degrading but i thought that that's like normal to be treated like that but also i was like i'm a fucking dude i'm a skater you can't fuck with me you know what i mean but i was like wearing a mini skirt with like heels on <laughs> but i worked there because i could make enough money to like save up to move to california i mean the sacrifices that i had to make to get enough money to move to la when i was 20 were exactly those things because nothing else was going to pay me enough to get me the fuck out in time. And to buy your first camera too, yeah. Totally, yeah. I've worked since I was 12, always. I'm always working. Yeah, I was going to say you worked hard your whole life. Yeah, I mean, so did my parents. I mean, when my parents lived in Poland, when I was in my early, early, early childhood days in the 80s, my parents were together combined, I think we're making $20 a month. 20 bucks a month? Yeah, American dollars, yeah. Wow. So... And like we had food on the table and a cool house, but that was like, you know, that's the difference between the Polish currency and the American currency and working for the government, being teachers and communism. Yeah. So you, it's like a trade system, you know, like we ate meat because my mom would tutor the butcher's son in French and therefore they would give us meat. Otherwise wow. you couldn't get it from the store. You know, like we had to go to foreign countries to buy clothes because there was nothing in the stores. And I remember Within, like next time I ever felt that scarcity was going to Cuba and you walk into the grocery store and there's like 16 aisles with only soy sauce, nothing else. And you're like, cool, communism. Wow, when did you go to Cuba? I went um, 2018. It was cool. Have you been? No, I heard. I heard. I mean, amazing. Friends who went there, heard it's amazing. So much soul. People love to dance. Like just so much passion. There's just everybody kind of oozes sex. It's just like this fucking incredible, amazing culture. But the food's terrible. <laughs> Cuban food in America is Americanized and it's very sweetened, I think, so it's better. But Cuban food's very bland because they don't have a lot of stuff mm. to get to make it fantastic. I've never had Cuban food, Cuban food before. Yeah, you don't need to. Because I've never ate meat for a long time. That's interesting. What about sobriety? So you just you drink maybe once a month? I mean, I p- used to party so hard and just, I mean, I. Like, what was your hardest partying? Like, what kind of stuff? Were you doing drugs? and? I mean, from like 22, from the day I tried cocaine to 30 and I was playing in a metal band, I was just like. I was doing so much blow, like eight Damn, balls. Damn, for how many years you did cocaine? Because like that shit's eight, like eight. Damn, like it's getting no eight balls at like noon and staying up for three days, and sometimes doing speed by accident because I didn't know. But that was like the, wow. that was like the vibe, you know. It was just it was like <laughs> metal, and it was just like some metal vibe. And the people, some people in my band were alcoholics and you know verbally abusive, and then other people were meth addicts, and I didn't even know until years later. Like there were so many people doing drugs and I just was like I guess this is what we do and then I get so fucking wasted I have to stay up all night but also on tour towards the end of like the green and wood days like our last tour in Europe I remember being in like Denmark and just going out to the van and we had no place to sleep at that point we were sleeping in like squat houses during like Occupy Holland and shit like that Occupy Amsterdam and just like you know rats crawling over my sleeping bag and stuff like that and these guys were always hooking up with girls and since I was the only girl nobody would talk to me because they always thought I was with somebody in the band Mm. and I my ex-boyfriend of 10 years was the singer of the band but we were still touring when we broke up oh so then he's off like hanging out the chicks all the other guys were like screwing girls and then nobody would talk to me i was just like cool so i just roll solo and i just remember having to just drink myself to sleep because it was so cold and i'd be sleeping in the van and i would sleep between like the two front rows of like the driver's seat the passenger seat and the bench because all the other dudes claimed the bench seats and i was like the young one, I was like five to eight years younger than everybody else. And even though I was the manager, taking care of the merch, booking the shows, booking everything, making the shirts, taking care of the money and feeding everybody and paying for people's flights, I was um, 
yeah, I was everyone's mom, but I was way younger than them. And yeah, um, I was sleeping on the floor and I would just have to drink so much just to like stay warm through the night, like on tour. Cause it was, we were just That's like brutal. in a fucked up situation. Yeah. I mean, I've so roughed glamorous it. being a bandage. <laughs> I mean, exactly. And it, before that I was going on skate tours, watching people just do crazy ass shit, yeah, getting yeah. hookers back to their hotel rooms and cheating on their wives and all this stuff. So, yeah. and then, you know, you go on music and you see the same thing. So like same shit. my idea of like how women should be treated was like not a very good example, but I was like, well, no. that won't happen to me because I'm a man. I'm just like them. But then I'm like, well, I'm not a man. I'm a woman and I'm straight and I date guys. But it was like, it, r- it really took me a long time to reprogram my way of thinking how a woman is okay and should be treated and not dragged through the dirt, you know? Fuck. So, um, but yeah, it's not glorious. That 45 minutes of, of getting a high on stage wasn't, um, towards the end wasn't worth the way that I was feeling as the only girl. If I was a dude fucking everybody on tour, that would have been fun, but I wasn't. <laughs> I was just sleeping by myself in a van drinking whiskey. Yeah. Those other 23 hours just leading up to playing yeah. the show is just. And then you kind of got to pace yourself with drinking. So I drank a lot in my 20s and I just was running away from my problems and running away from an abusive relationship and running away from not liking myself. And then I went sober for three years. Was it hard to quit cocaine? No, not at all. And then I was just like, I don't ever need to do it again. And I think I did it like three times in 10 years and I just don't care. Like, I just don't need it. I have so much energy. Yeah, you do have a lot of energy. Yeah. And I was just like, whatever. And then I started drinking. Like, I didn't drink for three years. And then I started drinking again a little bit here and there. And then I was engaged to a guy that was sober for 12 years. Oh, wow. Um, but I didn't really. So I, out of respect for him, didn't smoke or drink. But then I was like, but you're the alcoholic. I don't have a problem. So I can still enjoy a glass of wine every once in a while. So. I'm back to being okay at drinking every once in a while. Yeah, was he worried about you drinking in front of him? No, but I wish he went to AA because I think he never worked out his resentments. Mm. You know, I feel like yeah. also, some people just get sober sober and some people can pull it off, but some people like truly need the program because there's so much shit to talk about and yeah. work through and he didn't get a chance to do that. So I think there was like a lot of buildup and resentments that were never t- talked about by the time we split. And I was just like, I don't know if I end up ever dating someone that's sober in the future, I would hope that they either go to therapy or went to AA. But I, for a fact, will not date a fucking guy that's a project ever again mm. or a guy that hasn't started doing the work. Like, if you don't go to therapy, I'm kind of, like, not even interested. Because it's not really your job to do the work. Fuck no. That's you been my I mean? job the last, or like... Or babysit or take care. You know what I mean? Mm-mm. I want to be taken care of. I take care of everybody. I feel like you deserve to be taken care of. I know you don't Fuck want yeah. that because you, I know I you're do a very independent that. woman. Okay. I want that. I want that so bad. It'd be so like, nice for someone else to make decisions for me. But as everything you've been through and you're hearing your story and your relationships and everything and the way women have been treated and just being a, a girl trying to be a photographer and skate, what is everything? I feel like you deserve a nice fucking man who you can chill. He comes home. He has dinner for you. Massage your feet. Come <laughs> on, man. Like you deserve I mean, something like that. You know what? Would you let? Cool? Would you let? Would you accept that? Because you seem like you're very in control of your life and everything. I would accept that. And the thing is, I would just. It'd be nice if they had their own shit going on. You know, like a guy that also has a job and a career and a passion. You yeah. know. Yeah. Like it'd be cool if we were just equals. If we showed up for each other equally, that'd be awesome. I would love, love, love that because. If it's if it's just me doing all the work and the other person's only living for me, like I I don't want them to also get the idea of all His their resentment, all that life stuff. purpose for me. Yeah, but I I am a hundred percent. One thing I know for sure is that I will never date anyone that hasn't done the work or hasn't started doing the work, like therapy. Well, you guys listening out there, pay attention <laughs> to this. Is a real like reality of like relationships and dating and. What a woman expects or what it, just something. I don't know. Especially like if you're at the point of my age at 39, like you've definitely had some fucked up shit already happen in your life. And if you haven't started working on it, 
that's like you're not willing to grow. And another thing is I don't trust I don't trust a guy that has not had his heart broken by the time they're 39. If you mm. haven't had your heart broken, mm-mm. I'm not going to date that person either. That's pretty, you know, judgmental, but it's just like you have, <laughs> if you don't know if, your standards. Yeah. If you don't know loss or pain, it's not like I need a trauma bond with people. I just need to know that they have a certain understanding of sacrifice. Yeah. Which is your heart. You know, you sacrifice a lot too. Fuck. Yeah. Throughout your whole life. Sacrificed and compromised, but also fought like I'm a fighter and I'm also exhausted. I don't want to fight anymore. And that's why people are <laughs> like, Oh, you wouldn't have the ability to let people take care of you. And I'm like, I would, but it takes a little bit of a That's moment asking, yeah. to trust people so I can become malleable so I can know that I can rest in your hands. Yeah. And once you show me that I can trust you, then I am so down to be taken care of, you know, and just be um, able to be feminine and receive. That would be beautiful. Yeah. But I just need that opportunity. To, to, to have that I hope with you someone get that. I can trust. And, yeah. I th- and I think you will get it. I hope so too. Yeah. There's it's just, just going to happen. You're not going to have to look for it. It's going to happen. Exactly. That's why I'm like literally off the dating apps. As of like last week, I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Everybody's going to be Googling your name after this uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> They're like, this chick is crazy. <laughs> no. Um, well, thank you for being here. Oh my God. Thanks for having me. This has been awesome. I, I, I learned so much about you and, and uh, it's been very therapeutic as well. I know. We, we talked about so many things. <laughs> I'm going to double check my list of all my stuff. Yeah, because people can Google you and they can look at all the things you've done. But I like just talking about your life and, you know, it's nice. Yeah, because, you know, personal the, with you. the funny thing is people see like my Instagram. They just think I'm some rich kid that gallivants the globe naked and they mm. think I don't have hardships. And I'm like, you motherfuckers, I'm sitting in hotel rooms by myself crying, feeling lonely. Yeah. And yeah, that's <laughs> what I was going to say. And if you have this perfect, wonderful life, but nobody's life's perfect no people are like you have this cool house you did and you have this cool like muscle car and these cool dogs and i'm like dude don't fucking like me for the things i have to offer like me once you get to know me but you work for those things you busted your ass for those totally you weren't given to you you know it'd be cool when it comes back to relationships it'd be cool to meet someone that doesn't know who the fuck you are what car you drive who you are in the world of photography who your friends are what you do that they'd literally just like you because of the stuff that comes out of your mouth that's impossible with social media though exactly and it's like you can't you can't dead those accounts because that's how you promote the stuff you do. I know. It's so tricky with that stuff, you know, because this is amazing just having a conversation in real life, which doesn't really happen anymore with people. And you're online, this phone, which we had shut off for like two hours. I don't feel like I missed anything in the world, you know what I'm saying? Me neither. But then when you this, have it on, it's like you're looking at that shit. It's yeah, like fuck that shit though. This is not so real. cool. Like we need to do things like this face to face hangs more often. Yeah. Dinner parties at least once a month. I love that. I, as soon as I met you, I knew there was a connection there too in the vibe. And then you were on that photo shoot and then you know similar people and you know, the same stuff. And then my wife loved you and she loves Poland and fucking. If I can speak Polish to anybody, I'm so excited. Maybe <laughs> when my dad's in town, you guys should come over for Polish dinner. That'd be kind of sick. We'll make it vegan style. That'd be amazing. Okay. I never had Polish vegan food either. Has, I missed uh, out on a lot of things in my life. Is your wife? Fucking animals. All these animals appreciate me. Is your wife vegan? Yeah. Okay. You know and what? my son, yeah. Poland is the third biggest vegan. Uh, Warsaw is the third biggest vegan city in the world. Number one is Berlin. Number two is LA. Number three is Warsaw. I believe it. And Berlin's fucking on point too, yeah. man. So when you go there and you play shows there, you're going to get to eat vegan Polish food and it's going to blow your fucking mind. You know what's so crazy? My friend Derek, he's on tour. He's in a band called Sepultura. I love you, Derek. He's usually my I co-host. I love Sepultura. <laughs> yes, he's a singer. He told me the other day, he's like, bro, I had the most amazing fucking food at our show in Poland the other night. I was is like, Poland? Yeah. yeah. 
I was like, holy shit, you just said it too. Wait, how long has he been in the band? Over 20 years. Okay, so. He replaced the original singer. I played a show in Rio in Brazil. Damn. And um, somebody's like, oh, the singer of Sepultura is here. And he came and saw my band, Green and Wood. We were playing a vice party, and then we went to some like strip club with him after. What year was this? This had to be within 20 years. It was 15 years Holy ago. Holy shit, Derek, that's you, man. Derek, you're gonna, you're I met you. You're going to meet him when he gets back to town. He's on tour right now. But yeah, he told me that. Poland, and we're going there in March, and my wife's coming to sell T-shirts, so she's coming back out of retirement. She'll be on our first tour in March. Amazing. So she'll be in Poland with us. we got two shows out there. Fuck yeah, I'm going to tell my friends to go. So people can find you on, on your website, just your name.com. Um, and if you want to see like new photo work, go to Magda Wyszynska Studio. That's the Wyszynska. Wyszynska, yeah, that's the Instagram to go. Oh, yeah, the studio, there's experience, and there's just your name. And, and then there's the Desert Milk Adobe. Fuck, and then there's your website. <laughs> it's a lot, man. It's crazy. Um, Trying to stay you. relevant. No, you're, you're, <laughs> you're killing it. And you, if you've, damn. If you, if you look her up, everybody, and you see all the different people she's photographed, she's taking photos of, it's just the diversity, all the different things she's worked on. Um, it's crazy, man. Short films, advertising, commercials, music videos, sports, fashion, lifestyle, street, everything, man. Her website's awesome. I deep dived it the other day. And uh, yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, I'll see you guys soon. Thank you. Bye. I always ask my guests if they have any regrets. I personally don't have any regrets. Even when it comes to my tattoos. I have the silliest tattoos. Even my ET on my leg. It's still a childhood memory for me. And I love it. I've had tattoos on top of tattoos strictly because I wanted more tattoos. I started getting tattoos when I was 18. I'm 52 now and I can't stop. I've had lazy treatment before on something on my arm. It's four tattoos on top of each other. And that experience at that place was pretty fast. It was pretty cold. It was in and out, swiped the credit card. Don't really tell me much. Didn't give me much details or anything was going to happen. So I never went back. So as of most recently, I'm so lucky enough to have had two sessions at Removery Tattoo Removal. My tattoo on my arm that looks like a big black blob is now super light. I've had two sessions. I have a long road ahead of me. None of this stuff happens overnight. You cannot take a tattoo up in one sitting. You have to be patient. And it's painful. They ice you up. It's super fast. To me, it felt like a bunch of rubber bands. But what's more painful than that is looking at something on your body that you think you're stuck with for the rest of your life. That sucks. But now for me, I'm really happy I started this journey. I'm slowly going to get this tattoo removed. I never thought in a million years I have any kind of real estate on my arm. I don't even know what I want, but it's exciting. I'm so honored to announce that One Life, One Chance podcast is now with Removery. I have a code. Use TobyH20 and get $100 off your first session. Call 866-934-4570 or go to Removery.com. One of the most experienced tattoo remover companies in the world. Over 600,000 removal treatments done. 100 locations, U.S., Canada, and Australia. State-of-the-art peak-away laser technology, cryotechnology to reduce any discomfort. This is so exciting for me because all I do in these podcasts is talk about tattoos. From day one, if you've been listening to this podcast, we talk about tattoos, talk about getting removed, talk about getting covered up. So this is such a perfect fit for me. Once again, go to removery.com or call 866-934-4570. Use my code TOBYH20 and get $100 off. These guys are located everywhere. Try it out. 
Yo, people always ask me what kind of frames I'm rocking. I've been rocking Caddis for a couple years. They make amazing progressive readers, which I wear. Also, they make sunglass readers, anti-glare, anti-smudge coating, anti-scratch, and anti-aging. That's why I look mad young when I wear them. I'm just kidding. Um, but they make amazing frames. Caddis, so stoked to have you guys part of the podcast. You can go to caddislife.com slash Toby10 and get $10 off your first purchase. Stoked. Thank you, Caddis. Welcome to the fam.